the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, let's get it going. It's a a Monday, day before Election Day. All across America, lines look like today. They look pretty long all across the United States. I don't know what that means, to be honest with you. In In the past, if the lines were really, really long, a lot of people say, well, that favors republicans now you don't know who it favors i i think it favors trump leading leaning voters is who i think it favors and if that's the case then things uh, may turn out just the way that i'm hoping that they'll turn out hey carol cruz is with us today she is running for uh, prosecutor over in uh, faulkner county i had her on earlier uh, last month wasn't it it was in october yes okay so here it is now in november we're one day away from uh, you casting your votes and i wanted to have her on and remind you about uh, you know when you go into the voting booth about what she stands for and i guess that you know the big thing i i've read all the articles that have been written about this race basically and uh, the dem gas got behind you if i'm not mistaken uh, the log cabin Democrat got behind you. They had a, as God is my witness, I wouldn't think they would write this well about a conservative, but that was a very good endorsement for you in the log cabin Democrat. Uh, Everybody says one thing, and that is you've got all of the experience going for you in this race. Why don't you explain to the listeners why experience is important? Well, thank you so much for having me back on today. Uh, glad to be here. And experience has been the common theme for the last year of this election. We're moving towards the runoff. Uh, it's a general election, but it's a runoff since we're a nonpartisan race. Uh, and, and Dave, I'm the only one in the race that's ever prosecuted a murder case or ever prosecuted a child rape case. And so um, I'm running because I'm passionate about representing victims in court. And I have a proven track record of uh, not just doing the job, but being successful in the courtroom. And that's why I believe that you've seen the Faulkner County Sheriff endorse me. You mentioned Log Cabin Democrat, uh, and really even most of the local defense bar. Okay, so talk to my listener here and, and explain to them what you have over somebody who doesn't have any experience in the courtroom with issues like this. I mean, there's things that you learn from being in front of a jury don't you that's right and and even before we get to the jury trial just in making a determination of whether or not to file charges look somebody gets killed in faulkner county the police investigate the case and bring it to us and it's solely up to the prosecutor on what charges to file is it murder in the first degree second degree capital murder is it a situation where we can and should seek the death penalty those are the kind of decisions that the prosecuting attorney makes and that's why having someone who's done this time and time again uh, and who has stood in front of juries and represented victims and worked with law enforcement. Uh, that's why that matters. If, if you or someone in your family were a victim of a violent crime, uh, you would want someone prosecuting the case who's done it before. Okay, so 
Yeah, let's say you're pro- you become prosecutor. You got to make that call. What are the what are the things that you look at or you would look at to determine you know what the case should be? Should we be going for you know first degree? Should we press for the death penalty? You've done a, a death penalty case as well. That's right. Uh, well, death penalty in particular, there's a statute in Arkansas that lays out what are called aggravating factors. So, number one, it has to be capital murder in Arkansas to seek okay. the death penalty. Which is what? Which is generally it's premeditated and deliberate murder. There's some other examples, um, committing a murder in the course of a felony. Uh, but generally it's premeditated murder. And so the one I had this summer in August was a intentional premeditated deliberate murder plus an aggravating factor that the legislature has defined. Uh, there's about eight of those. In that case, he had a violent prior that was a mm-hmm. he tried to kill his last wife. Um, and also, if you commit the crime for pecuniary gain is an aggravating factor killed in a particularly cruel, depraved manner. That's another aggravating factor. So the prosecutor has to look at the look at the evidence, the strength of the evidence, take into account what the victim's family wants, uh, and make the best determination. And I'll tell you what, no two cases are the same. And so we have to treat each case individually and evaluate the evidence and make what we believe is the right call. Okay. As a prosecutor, um, I'm thinking back here because I'm going to take take us back to governors and I'm going to take us back to, to Huckabee because – I was just talking to, to Carol about this earlier. Uh, the the governor and I were not the best of friends during the time that he was governor because I, I got upset with him about how he would not try to get rid of the food tax. And then the other one was that uh, how he would treat felons at times. And uh, there was a, a felon that he was letting into the trustee program and the family didn't want that to happen. And the, the guy that had been killed uh, was a, a minister. He had, was selling his car. This guy wanted said he wanted to drive the car, and the, the pastor went along with him, and he killed this guy. He killed the pastor. He was found with his girlfriend uh, getting high and partying. I had the, the detective on, and he wouldn't meet with the family. The family, he wouldn't talk to them, and uh, – to this day, we will not that that doesn't get brought up because it brings up some really emotional kinds of things. Does the state need to look closer at, at what a, a governor should be able to do as far as you know giving clemency or anything? I mean, let's say you had a a murder case. The guy was a cold blood murder. Which I'm trying to think, this guy's name was it Joe Joey or something like that. Uh, and you, you're like, I can't believe you're going to do that. Do you think that prosecutors should have an overriding input on something like that because you were so close to the case? Well, I would certainly want whoever the governor was to listen to what the prosecutor has At to say. At least talk to you, At right? Least talk, and not only talk to the prosecutor, but also to read the case file itself, mm-hmm. read the police reports and the transcripts of the trial and all that information that's available uh, look at the pictures we introduced. Look at what the medical examiner had to say about how bad the crime was, how much the victim suffered. Those sorts of things I would hope at the very least would be taken into account. Okay. That's, that makes me feel better is you would say, hey, Gov, we need to talk about – well, I, you wouldn't say Gov. I would say Gov. You would say Mr. Governor. All right. 
But the, the bottom line, and I only bring up Huckabee just because it, he's the last person I've dealt with. I've dealt with it in other states, but yeah, he was the last one that I, I did here in, in, in Arkansas. And, and, and that shows me your commitment to conservatism and, and, and the law as, it, as it's written. Because I, I think sometimes governors just don't pay close enough attention to that. And I'll say one thing as a prosecutor, as soon as the crime's committed and we file charges, the focus shifts to the defendant. And for, you know, 18, 24 months, it takes to get a major case to court. And uh, I, of course, respect due process. I want a fair trial as much as anybody else because I want my conviction to stand up on appeal. But my job, I believe my role as a prosecutor, is to be the victim's voice in court and uh, to shift the focus back on the innocent person who was victimized um, of, because of no wrongdoing of her own, but because of a senseless act of violence by the defendant. And so that's, that's what I'm passionate about as a prosecutor, and um, particularly in homicide cases and in crimes against children. There has to be somebody who reminds the jury, reminds the public about the the name and the face and the life of the person that was victimized not let just let her uh, become a statistic all right so when we come back let's talk about something i did talk to you about uh, the last time you were on and uh, highland was really good about this and that was during uh, you know the time that the legislature was uh, together he'd come over to to little rock and he would meet with legislators and make sure find out what they were thinking about well we'd like to do and change this and and he would say nah it's not a man what do we did it this way let's talk about that because i think that's a very important uh part of being a prosecutor i mean you're only going to be one of how many prosecutors in in counties i mean yeah there's there's a i don't know the exact number off the top of my head but there's a fair amount um there's a prosecutor from each judicial district so there's a lot of us but they're um the electeds they have a board um that that um when mr highland was a prosecutor that he was instrumental in in helping shape legislation um that really helped put some teeth in pro eligibility like um, to hear that things like that that's right that's what we need put some bite into it that's good Hey, let me talk about Aero Plumbing. They were just at my house. I think it was Thursday. That's when my toilet in the guest bathroom decided it was going to act like a um, volcano from the bottom. Didn't jettison up. It was from the bottom. You'd flush and shoot out in all directions at the bottom. Uh, My wife called me and said, what do I do? What do I do? I said, Call Arrow Plumbing. You get a, you call them. They'll take care. And what's the number? Go to aeroplumbing.net. It's all right there. She did, and uh, they were there within uh, about 40, 50 minutes, done fixing it in 30 minutes, and uh, no problems uh, since that. And Aero Plumbing did, as they always do, a very professional and great job. They come dressed in a uniform, as I like to tell everybody, you not see plumber pencil holder anymore uh they come in and you know in a uh, uh, a special dress for theirs their uniform they uh, they do that they wear the little booties on their shoes and all of that and if by the way they don't show up that way uh you don't have to pay for the visit at all 
No cost to you whatsoever. They have the no lemon guarantee. They guarantee that the equipment and fixtures they've provided and installed in your home will provo- uh, perform as they've stated. And if they don't, if they fail, they'll replace the item at no charge to you. That's aeroplumbing.net or just Google aeroplumbing. All right, so let me go back to what I was asking our, our guest, Kara Cruz. She's running for prosecutor over in Faulkner County. So y- you tell me, um, how active will you be with the legislature? Will you be over there on just your own time and, and talking to them? So, yes, I look forward to being able to visit with the legislature uh, when I'm elected about criminal justice and some changes that need to be made. Um, we have a real problem in Arkansas. We have one of the lowest parole eligibilities of any state in the union. And so I, I may have said this last time I was on your show, but a, a grown man can touch a child and it's sexual assault, touch their private parts, and be eligible for parole after he serves one-sixth of his time in prison. When I explain that to juries, they're shocked. They're horrified. And only the legislature can change that. And that's just one example of how they need to get busy and put some teeth uh, in some of our laws about uh, offending against children. Yeah, let's talk about that because you're you're very – I don't want to say emotional. That's the wrong word. You're very adamant about punishment for those things. So am I. I got uh, four children that have been sexually abused in their lifetime, two by a neighbor, one by a a former spouse of my wife's. And uh, one time it happened uh, in Illinois. One time it happened down in in, uh, Texas. And, and I'm going to tell you what, the prosecutor in Wichita County where I was at there in by Wichita Falls, Barry Maka at the time, and I've talked to him several times since I've left. He was one of the best prosecutors I've ever had to deal with. And um, uh, the next-door neighbor that uh, did this to my son, uh, he went up before Judge Brotherton. You, I can tell you, this is why – this Ford lady didn't cut it with me because I can remember all of this as clean as as day, you know, just as clear as a bell. And this guy, uh, you know, Brotherton got with Maka, and they sat down with me, and they said, hey, look, he said, um, you know, your boys are seven and, and, and six, and you have to make up your mind if you want to put them on the stand and make them testify because they're, they're going to need to testify, or we can let him... Uh, plead guilty you'll go into recidivism training or whatever and and uh if he ever if he would ever do it again we'll put him away forever so for my sons i didn't make them have to get up on the stand two years later he attacked a 13 year old girl and i found out about it uh the the law he had done it in oklahoma so the law here in texas didn't know anything about it i took it to to maca maca got it to brotherton brotherton had him in front of him within two weeks and he went down to where is it what's one that they they do they do the executions anyway they put him there he went 36 years no parole Mm -hmm. and he's still there and it's uh they did what they said that they would do that's what we want i you know personally i think it has to be a way that the people who do these kind of crimes go away and go away forever if possible. That, that, that's people that I think you throw the key away. 
You, you agree? Is there any kind of recidivism? Their recidivism levels are high, are they not? Yes. Yeah, so for defendants who offend against children, uh, those are not appropriate cases for a second chance as far as I'm concerned. Now, you hit the nail on the head. The trickiest part of prosecuting those type of cases are uh, is that you have to have the child come into court and articulate in great detail what exactly happened. Yep. Uh, and so that is, there is a time we have to make plea offers because the child really cannot uh, get through get through his or her testimony. But it really brings us back to your first question about why does experience matter in electing a prosecutor? And so, um, you know, defense lawyers know which prosecutors are tough, which ones have experience, which ones are willing to go to trial, and which ones get really good results. And so I have stood in front of juries in Faulkner County time and time again representing children uh, and making sure that those perpetrators go to prison for 90 years 100 years um, 40 years these are cases real real cases with real victims uh, that i have been honored to be able to fight for them in court and and make sure that uh, those people who have have raped and molested these children uh, if they ever get out of prison they'll be very old Um, and that's really the job of the prosecutor is to fight for those kids can you promise the listeners that you'll go and fight with the legislators to get that one-sixth taken care of and have if, a, at least boosted up? If they'll listen to me, uh, that would definitely be my recommendation. That, and that's just one example. There's several crimes in Arkansas that need to have the pro eligibility increased. Um, another one is aggravated residential burglary. So if I come into your house, break into your house, I'm armed with a gun, and I try to rob you or take something from you, it is a one-fourth, 25%, uh, and, I, and then I can get out if I get good time in prison. Uh, that's shocking. That's shocking to the average listener, to the public, that you could commit such a serious violent crime inside someone else's mm-hmm. home. Uh, and there's just no reason for it, uh, and, and it needs to be changed. Well, I like the people who tell me, well, they, you know, they, they, they had good behavior. And I said, they're supposed to have good behavior. They're in prison, for God's sake. That's right. And there's a there's a place to take that into account, uh, maybe on nonviolent crimes or first offenders, uh, but not when the child's been victimized and not when it's a violent crime. Yeah. It's not appropriate. I like it. I like what you're saying here. Makes sense to me. How about, uh, you know, jail overcrowding? It seems like with jail overcrowding, their answer to it is to open the gates and let the flood begin. What do you think needs to be done for that? We have seen a jail overcrowding issue in Faulkner County. It's something that we've worked closely with the sheriff on. Um, and so we, we've seen some offenders that were on misdemeanors and just can't make a, a pretty low bond on nonviolent crime. So we've been able to work with him on, on some of those to make space. Uh, but he, at least our sheriff in Faulkner County, We've been in total agreement that if you're in there on a violent crime, um, that we're not we're going to find a way uh, to keep that person incarcerated until we can move move the process move the case down the line and, and get him sent to prison. So uh, we just have to find a way. We have to find a way to do it. It's a public safety issue, um, and another reason that you want a prosecutor who has a good relationship with local law enforcement. No, you have to be really over at state capital a lot. You get elected because you know they're. They're letting them out of prison left and right right now. We are seeing a lot of that, and and we need some reform um, to – here's the deal. No one knows about pro-eligibility better than the criminals. 
Mm, yeah, so you're right. We'll be in court, and they'll, you know, their attorneys there too, but they'll kind of, kind of talk to me. Hey, Miss Cruz, will you reduce this one? Reduce this to a D. And they know the lingo. They know the classifications. They know exactly what crime they need to be found guilty of for t- to figure out how much time they can do. They can do that math in their head faster than any of the attorneys wow. can. And so you've got to have prosecutors who know what they're doing and. Um, not just not just know what they're doing, but are willing to put in the extra work uh, to get good results in court. And uh, good results mean people who prey on children and people who commit violent crime uh, go to prison for a really long time. Okay, can I keep you about five more minutes? Sure, I'd we got to take a we got take a quick break here. Got news coming up. Let's find out what's happening out in the world for about sixty seconds, then we'll come back. Uh, if you're on Facebook now, we've got the sound fixed up. You can hear everything that's going on in the uh, the studio. And if somebody calls in on the phone, you can even hear them as well. As well. All right. I got time for one more question here. So let's make it a good one, shall we? What separates you from your challenger? The biggest difference between uh, myself and my challenger would be our record and our experience um, I've worked my way up from law clerk uh, in law school at a prosecutor's office uh, to juvenile court prosecutor to prosecuting property cases and um, violent crimes in adult court and later senior trial attorney where I handled mostly crimes against children like we've talked about. Uh, now I'm the chief deputy, so I handle most of the capital murder cases for the district. Um, that's 11 years of of uh, personally trying every kind of case there is from child pornography uh, to homicides to aggravated robbery and uh, working with local law enforcement, working with local defense attorneys. Uh, My opponent has never practiced law in Faulkner County, never stepped foot in a courtroom as an attorney in Faulkner County. Um, We had a forum back in the spring, and he said that he had had three jury trials and had won one of them. And uh, Dave, my position is that's not good enough for Faulkner County. Mm -hmm. That's not good enough for uh, the children and the women who have been victimized in Faulkner County. Uh, They deserve to have a prosecutor who has personally handled every kind of case there is uh, and has a proven record of getting good results in the courtroom. And that's why I'm running. All right. Okay. Carol would like you to go to the polls tomorrow, Carol Cruz, and vote for her. We appreciate her time to come here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, sorry, I don't have the rest of this half hour to give to you, but I got this guy by the name of Bill O'Reilly that's going to join us here after the break. So, I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, you've heard of him, huh? Yeah. Thank so you so much for good. having Thanks me. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate you. Thank you very much. Hey, don't forget about Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics. Lots of big changes going on there. As you know, they're upgrading their uh, 12th Street location, uh, built in the 80s. Now they're doing all the work they need to do to make a state-of-the-art facility with the latest technology and prosthetics and orthotics, new gate room, a large new waiting room. If you're a woman who've suffered from uh, breast cancer, had to have your breast removed, uh, they can take care of those prosthetics for you, and they've got a, a special area for you to go into where you're going to feel like you've got the privacy and comfort that you need. And it's all because... They pride themselves on their patient relationships. Remember, Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics providing a lifetime of support. Well, let's talk about this this newest one, Killing the SS. Uh, fantastic book. I got it last week, started reading it, stayed with it, read it all, all the way through it. Excellent book. Hunting Down the SS, 
one of the worst organizations that ever existed. Why Why this organization? Why this book? After we wrote Killing Patton, this was the eighth day of in the series of killing books, and in 19 million copies in print, the most successful nonfiction book series in history. And uh, after we wrote Killing Patton, we had some material left over about what happened after Hitler killed himself and the war ended. So I basically then put it aside, and then I started to see a rise of evil in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about people walking into schools and churches, gunning down innocence, um, talking about city of Chicago, tens of thousands of people shot by drug gangs, uh, clerics abusing kids. It just goes on and on. And I said, you know what? I'm going to write a book about evil. And the best example of evil on this planet in the last 500 years has been the Nazi SS, which manned the concentration camps and committed genocide. So that's what we did. And there's no doubt about it. They were evil. People have to understand there is evil in the world. And they were the personification of evil. My father fought with Patton uh, at the Battle of the Bulge. I think it was Birkenwith, uh, one of the Birkenhall or whichever concentration camp that was that they uh, they went Birkenwald. in. And, yes, they went in and they liberated. My father, to his dying day, would never talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, Americans, unfortunately, Dave, are not being taught about what your father actually saw. So you go into the public school system and you walk down the hallways and you ask kids, well, what do you think about the SS? They look at you like, what? Mm -hmm. So they don't know. A lot of American adults don't know either. And uh, that's why the book is an eye opener to anybody who buys it and reads it. I always say to adults, look, you like the killing books? By killing the SS, read it, and then slap it in the hands of an 18-year-old. Okay? Give them something to look at. And the book is entertaining, and it moves along, so they won't be bored with it, and they'll learn a lot. So that's why we do these books. We want people to know what really happened so they can apply it to their lives today. You know what's interesting, uh, Mr. O'Reilly, is this. You hear people call people Nazis all the time, and they don't even know what they're calling them. That's right. They have no idea... Uh, of what happened just 75 years ago and how human beings were um, looked upon as garbage. And, and in this country, in America, we used to have respect for life. We don't anymore, in my opinion. I mean, life is basically, well, we hear so many bad things on TV, so it's just another bad thing. And then we go along. And we look away from evil a lot in our own lives and in our own communities. And what's happening in Chicago right this moment should never, ever happen in any part of America. But it is. And so that's why I want to mobilize people. You know, you see evil. It's like the old saying, you see something, you say something. Yeah. So my question is, as you did the research for this book and you learn more and more about the SS, did it bother you that? The uh, American government played, you know, patty cake with the Nazis? Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, you know, America defeated the Third Reich with the French and the British and the Russians under Stalin. So the, com the combined force knocked out the most evil regime ever. 
However, after the war, we had to deal with another evil regime, and that was Stalin's Soviet Union, mm-hmm. which was bent on conquering the planet for communism. So that the United States said, all right, we already beat these guys. Um, and now we're going to turn our attention to Russia and find out how to deal with them. Unfortunately, they made a mistake, and it was a mistake, to uh, incorporate some Nazis into their spy craft. So, for example, uh, Klaus Barbie, the butcher of Lyon, was put on the CIA payroll to spy on communists in France. Patton used some SS people uh, to spy on um, the Soviets in Germany. And they did that, and they justified it by, like, we need to know what's going on because here's another evil coming down a pipe. So it's not so cut and dry that they did it for nefarious reasons. But Truman did have to be cajoled to, to hunt these people down. They, uh, we say in the, in the book that Truman was threatened by a judge at Nuremberg to, look, you either order the FBI and the CIA to track these guys down, or I'm going to make it clear to the American public that you're soft on Nazis. So then Truman finally did. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy that uh, is synonymous with the SS, and I learned something from your book, and, and that was that uh, Adolf Eichmann was helped by the Catholic Church. He was helped by the Red Cross. And I, I, I've I read countless books about Eichmann and, and didn't know that they were the ones that were feeding him the falsified documents he needed when he got over into yeah. Central America. Very disturbing. Uh, Adolf Eichmann, the architect of the Holocaust, uh, you know, uh, a maniac. Um, the only thing that Martin Dugard, my co-author, and I can figure out is that elements of the Red Cross in Switzerland and elements of the Catholic Church in Italy didn't know how heinous Eichmann was. Because you got to remember, there was no television back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, radio was censored. Not a lot of reportage coming out of the concentration camps. So people didn't know uh, the full extent of it until years later. So that's the only thing that I can figure out and why they would help guys like Eichmann get away. And we take it step by step. We show you how he did get away. We call it a rat line that went from Germany down to Genoa, Italy. And then they got on boats and went to South America, South Africa, or Spain, the three places where they could be harbored. Um, but it's disturbing. There's no doubt about it. Um, they should have known that these SS guys were the worst war criminals in history, as we say in the subtitle of the book. Yeah, so when you sat down and, and you look back at history, history is, is written by the winners, basically. So you got to look at what the losers said as well. I'm sure that you do that. How do you, how do you sit down and balance that out to know exactly, try to figure out exactly what was going on, and especially with somebody like the SS? Well, it's not hard. I have to say that, Dave. That's one of the easiest jobs that we have. The hard part is researching and getting the truth uh, about whether it's Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or Adolf Hitler or any of them. Um, And we do primary source material. I mean, we don't count on what other people have said. Like you say, okay, the victors uh, write the history, and that's true. But we go to the source material. So, for example, in uh, chronicling Adolf Eichmann, we went to the concentration camp survivors themselves and what their testimony was at the various trials. Mossad opened its files to us, the Israeli uh, intelligence agency, and we saw firsthand what the agents wrote down as far as their abduction of Eichmann in Argentina. 
So we had the primary source material, the stuff that was written down by people actually there, involved there. And that's the best you can do. And once we get that, we write it. We don't care if it offends anybody or there's not balance. I'm not looking to get what was good about the SS. You know, in my opinion, based on facts, they were heinous. And that's the way I'm writing the book. And I think that's the factual way to do it. If you just tuned in, Bill O'Reilly is our special guest, author of his newest book, Killing the SS, The Hunt for the Worst War Criminals in History. You can, of course, purchase it at anywhere you would get a book. It opened up as a bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, it's, it's a great book. I've read it. I read it over the weekend, and it's a wonderful piece of, uh, of, of history. I like the way you all write. It, it does. It moves quickly and like I said, I learned something from your book. I didn't know that Eichmann was helped by the church, by the Catholic Church and, her, and the Red Cross. Went. Why Why this willing alliance with the Red Cross of all people? Well, the Red Cross is based in, in Switzerland, which is a neutral country during World War II, and lots of refugees streamed in to that country, although the Swiss didn't want that. They did get across the border and get out of Germany and get out of Austria and get out of Italy. There are a lot of people there in Switzerland. The Red Cross... Uh, the International Red Cross is based there to help these people and others who were displaced after the war. You can imagine the chaos. So the apparatus was there, and there were a lot of Germans involved, because there are a lot of Germans that live in Switzerland. Uh, most people in Switzerland speak German. Mm-hmm. They're of German heritage. Right. And there was a sympathy on the parts of some of them. As I said, they may not have known the full extent of the concentration camp situation, but certainly they knew the virulent anti-Semitism that the Nazi party embraced because it was written down. I mean, it wasn't a secret. So, you know, people make mistakes. They do bad things in every organization. And the, uh, we found out that the, that the Red Cross had been involved in getting passports, phone passports to some SS people. I'm sure they were paid very well to do it. That's how it was going on. Odessa, the organization set up to help the SS get out, had a lot of money, and it was spreading it around. Hmm. Last question. You say you, you interviewed a lot of uh, survivors from the concentration camps. What was it like to sit across from those folks and look them in the eye and, and hear their stories? Well, I did that earlier in my career, um, but I didn't. For this book, we took their transcriptions, okay. the things they said at Nuremberg, the things they said at the Eichmann trial in Israel. We took their words and we put their words in the book with no interpretation. And in the audio, I do the audio book on this, Dave. I read, and it's tremendously affecting, a one man's uh, Auschwitz experience. Mm. And uh, it just, you know, and these are, these are simple people. They're, these aren't um, college professors. These are people who just got caught up in this, and they were farmers or merchants or whatever, and they're telling you what they went through. And I thought that was the best way to get it across to people who, oh, that could never happen. Oh, come on, you're exaggerating, O'Reilly. Ah, this came right from their lips. Now, when I was a younger reporter and I did interview people, it was always emotional. And people, as you pointed out, like your father, didn't want to talk about it. No. Because it was so horrifying to relive it. And even reading about it and killing the SS, I keep the atrocities at a minimum. There are a couple of chapters where I put you right inside the concentration camp, but I didn't want to make the whole book on that. Okay, because it's just too horrifying. 
Well, it was terrible things that they did, not only in the in the concentration camps, but at the behest of uh, the Fuhrer and and just. I don't know how people can can get that sucked up by somebody who was that evil. I mean, Hitler was evil as well. I don't know what they saw in him other than the the Treaty of Versailles had had irritated and made them so mad that they were willing to do anything to get you know their their yeah, power they turned back. Away. Most Germans just turned away from it. They were afraid. Uh, they rationalized it out, whatever it may be. And we've seen that, look, you know, you see it in China, you see it in Russia, mm-hmm. you see it in Vietnam, you see all these totalitarian governments, not to the extent of the Third Reich, but they go in and they brutalize people and they kill their opponents. And, and the people who live in those countries turn away. And that's what I don't want Americans to do. You see something evil, you got to confront it. you got to talk about it. you got to condemn it. So... You know, that's, that's the book, and uh, I appreciate you reading it, Dave. Very nice of you to do so. Well, you know, I, I've, I've read all your other ones. They were great books, and this was just as good as the rest of them, and I, I got them on my bookshelf, and my kids read them now, so that's my grandkids, in fact, are the ones that are reading them now. All right, I got you just for a couple of more moments. Let me just ask, what, what's your take on, on tomorrow? What do you think is going to happen? Does the, the does Republicans lose the House? Do they hold the Senate, maybe even gain in the Senate? What are you seeing? Well, in the Senate, I think the Republicans will uh, hold or gain a couple of uh, seats. House is impossible. You can't predict it. There's too much money that goes into these races. Um, big, big money on the progressive left going into very small districts that can turn the district around. I don't think there's going to be any wave on either side. I think it'll be close. Um, Democrats could pick up the House by a few seats. I don't expect it to be a landslide, mm-hmm. but I could be wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it from my vantage point in New York. You're in Arkansas. Um, different districts have different dynamics. Um, so I'm, t- I'm kind of staying away from the uh, prognostication game and saying, look, uh, we're in a social civil war here. There's going to be a big turnout. I think that'll happen. People are energized and angry on both sides. Um, you know, you go to BillOReilly.com, you get my take every night on what's happening in the country. And um, that's all I can say. I really can't make any kind of prediction that I feel comfortable with. How do you feel about what's happening on the border? I, I have to say that I fall on Trump's side on this, that this looks more like an invasion than people wanting just to come to America. Well, it's an invasion if you believe that um, people are using our laws of asylum um, for fraudulent purposes. And, you know, the people are going to say, look, I have a terrible life. I don't have any money. And my brother-in-law was killed by the drug gangs in Tegucigalpa. And I I fear for my life, so i got to come to America. I I sympathize with all that. But you can't have 7,000 people marching up to the border demanding entry into the country. And this is absurd. It's, it's insane. Yet the Democratic Party, for some reason, feels that open borders are acceptable. I wrote this in my message of the day on BillOReilly.com today. I said, what is acceptable about that? I mean, we just can't accept everybody in the world who's poor and oppressed. I mean, we got a $22 trillion debt now. 50% of all immigrant families, whether it's legal or illegal, are on mean-tested welfare. 50%, half of them. You can't keep it up, and we just can't do it. The whole economy will collapse. Well, that's but what Milton Friedman told us that. feels that, uh, you know, we have a uh, duty, a moral duty to accept everybody. 
I mean, it's really disturbing, but that's what's in play. And that'll mean a lot tomorrow in the vote. Yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Milton Friedman said you can't have open borders in a welfare state. And he's right. And he was right. And he's we're seeing it now. Bill, that's all the time that uh, I'll take of yours. And I appreciate you coming on and talking about this new book that you have just put out. Again, it's getting to be that time of the year again, getting close to Christmas. Be a great Christmas book, Killing the SS, The Hunt for the Worst War Criminals in History, Bill O'Reilly's latest uh, killing book. Good stuff, Mr. O'Reilly. Keep it up. All right, Dave. Thanks for having me in. Talk soon. Bye-bye. All right. Bill O'Reilly exclusively here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Name of the book, Killing the SS, The Hunt for the Worst War Criminals in History. Fifth caller, 823 823-0965. I have a free copy for you right now. Be the fifth caller, 823-0965, and I'll give you a copy of the book. You who are on Facebook can see me waving it right now. Hey, don't forget that uh, Tuesday, tomorrow night, uh, the the show is going to be from two until six normally, and we'll be uh, talking as we get through the day's voting, talking to different people. We'll have the power panel on. It'll be a whole lot of fun doing that. And uh, then from uh, seven o'clock until ten o'clock, I will be on with you live uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show from uh, the Embassy Suites, and we'll be covering uh, all the races and keeping you up to date on it and. No telling who will show up that day. All right, phone lines. We got probably uh, the next caller, 8230965. You walk away with the book, 8230965. Hey, Robert Steinbach is coming our way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. My thanks to Bill O'Reilly and Carol Cruz here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you, 3 o'clock hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. My thanks to uh, Bill O'Reilly. Uh, for giving us about uh, 20, 25 minutes to talk a little bit about his new book. And I thought he uh, held his cards close to the vest dealing with the house races, didn't he? It was kind of interesting. Didn't want to talk about it. Did say we ju- no prognostication. Yeah, I was kind of I was kind of surprised about that, to be honest. But, hey, it is what it is. And Can you he- blame him, really? Because there are people out there right now, some of the major prognosticators – of elections are out there saying we don't know we got it wrong the last time we don't know what's going to happen you know who i think is going to have a lot of egg on his face cook you know in the last about four days he's been going yeah that blue wave it's coming he's not talking about a tsunami but there's a blue wave coming he picked up he threw about 30 or 40 seats to the democrats and and threw a few more today Mm. i think he's so wrong i think he's good He's going to look as bad as he did when he picked Hillary to win. You know who Schweikert is, right, Dr. Schweikert? The, yes. We've had him on. Larry Schweikert. Yeah. Uh, he was on Paul Harrell this morning. Did you hear him? No, I did not. All right. Bottom line, he picked, uh, you know, he he called Trump like I called Trump a couple of years ago. He's calling for the Republicans to hold the House. So am I. It's going to be interesting. I I just think we're going to hold the house. I I've said that it be it may be razor thin, but as long as we win by one, you know, seat, I'm happy because we then are the person who put the chairman in on all the committees and everything. So we can we continue with the uh, agenda. That's the key. So go to the poll, vote Republican. 
Just telling you, vote for French. And by the way, French will be, uh, pardon me, Congressman Hill will be on with us at 4 o'clock. I want you to know about that. He'll spend a half hour with us. Robert Steinbach should be here any moment. Kind of nasty out right now. Traffic is probably screwed up, so he's running a little bit behind right now. But he'll be here, and uh, we'll have things to to talk about uh, for sure here on the Dave Ellswick Show. A lot of things going on as far as... Uh, things uh, happening out in the uh, um, elections. The uh, DOJ, and that, of course, the Justice Department, said today it will send election observers to pol- polling stations across the country to ensure that federal election laws are being upheld. The observers will be in 35 counties or municipalities across 19 states. The number of jurisdictions is roughly on par with the previous midterm election in 2014. The Obama administration deployed monitors to 28 jurisdictions in 18 states. During the previous presidential election in 2016, the department monitored 67 jurisdictions in 28 states. State and local governments across the country are given primary responsibility for administering elections, even federal office, but Washington plays a role in ensuring that elections are administered lawfully because the right to vote is guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution and federal civil rights laws. The federal government also has jurisdiction in investigating voter fraud and campaign finance violations. Federal election observers were first authorized by the Voting Rights Act of 1965, That's a landmark law designed to reverse the disenfranchisement of African-American voters, uh, particularly in the South. Since then, they have become a routine part of the Justice Department's election-related mission. In the landmark 2013 decision, Shelby County versus Holder, the Supreme Court struck down key parts of the Voting Rights Act, depriving the department of some of the resources It once used to deploy monitors to southern states. Today, the jurisdictions aren't chosen based on a history or pattern of discrimination. And it's just just stuff to keep in mind about uh, what's going going on. So uh, here's the midterm snapshot for today. Uh, The president, uh, this is according to who? Wall Street Journal. Uh... He has an approval rating of 46%, a disapproval of 52%. Okay, that that's the latest uh, on, on that from those folks. Uh, I thought this was kind of interesting because the Democrats believe that they're going to win. I mean, Pelosi went on national television, one of the late night hosts, was it Colbert? and said that they were going to win. And he says, are you making that announcement from Hillary Clinton's fireworks barge? <laughs> Which was a, pretty, was a pretty good statement, to be honest. Uh, two years of organizing, marching, candidate recruitment, unprecedented fundraising has led the Democratic Party to a critical moment. Tomorrow, it will either reassert itself politically or fall short, prompting an utter and complete psychological meltdown. 
Most in the party believe that the path they will go down will be the former, that they will gain a majority in the House of Representatives for the first time since former President Barack Obama's first term. But paranoia is part of the Democratic DNA now, especially after the shock of the 2016 election. Let me tell you what. They've been shaken since 2010. They lost seats 2010. They lost seats and, uh, you know, lost the Senate. In 2014, they lost the presidency in 2016. I mean, when you're at that, about the only way you got to go is up. Uh, in the final stretch of the midterm campaign, a scenario in which the party is unable to flip the requisite 23 House seats, looms in the dark recesses of the Democrats' minds. Nira Tandon, president and CEO of the Center for American Progress, said it will be paralyzing for a while. It will if they lose. Candidly, I think there will be a fair amount of soul-searching and people will feel back on their heels. We will have to completely rebuild. But the resistance is built on opposition to Trump's extremism, and the more extreme he is, the more we will have. Or as a veteran Democratic strategist, Paul Begala, put it, after all this work, all these volunteers, it would be absolutely shattering. Few midterm elections have taken on as much significance as the current one. That is in part because much of what happens on Tuesday will determine whether there will be a federal check on President Trump's political powers. But the elections will also have an outsized impact on the composition and direction of the Democratic Party as well. Let me, and and uh, Robert Steinbach just walked in. Traffic is terrible out there, isn't it? Not only that, you know, this is the first day that I'm on at the, uh, the earlier hour. And yes. what I didn't know is the folks next door at the school um, oh, I forgot. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They take up the whole highway. Yeah, they stopped. We're going to have up. to start making some noise on the radio. Maybe they'll hear us and pull over. <laughs> I've never seen that. They're all, they're all sort of swarming around like bees on a hive. You know, this is probably the most little part in this that is that I find interesting. It says, um, it says uh, the elections will also have an outsized impact on the composition and the direction of the Democrat Party as well, from the policies it pursues to the candidates it runs to the approach it takes in the next presidential contest. If the Democrats don't at least win the House tomorrow, the the end is very much in sight for Nancy Pelosi. For sure. She's, she's For dead. sure. For sure. Schumer is dead in the water. His 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 reign will end. Uh, all, all the leadership. Now, right? so if that happens, which way do you see this party, the Democrats, going, Robert? Do they do they lurch more to the left? Yeah, it's a good. Or question. do they do they come back looking for Moderation. their idea of the center? Right. It's a guess. All prognostication is, but my guess is they go even further to the left, uh, that they they double down on their so-called progressive uh, posture and uh, try to come up with entirely new candidates, like some of the ones we're seeing now, right? These young folks with sort of kooky ideas. Uh, that's my guess. That's a direction. That, because they're moving. I, I think, frankly, it's too late 
for the Democratic Party to pull back and go to the middle. So I think the only thing they can do is lurch even further to the left. Right. Right? I I, I don't see them demonstrating any modicum of uh, moderation whatsoever. By the way, I'm I'm sure you've seen it, and I'm, and I know you've uh, uh, likely talked about it already. But when I saw President Obama uh, uh, on television taking credit for all of the positive things, oh my god! Well, well here's what's it's great. embarrassing. Right, like for four years after he was elected, uh, every problem was Bush's fault, and now for two years after he's out of office, all of the credit goes to him. What a glory hound! What a remarkable glory hound. They they want to say Trump is narcissistic. Right. Obama is just as much, if not more. he's more. He's more. And he's the more dangerous type of narcissist, which is he's the subtle narcissist that comes up to you and tells you how great as he puts his uh, hands in your pockets to pick your pocket. Right. (laughs) No, no. He really does. Oh, absolutely. And all of a sudden you got no money in your pocket. Oh, yeah, I heard him talking about, oh, we're all in it together. Yeah, really? Really? Because you weren't in it together when uh, you and Hillary were telling the coal miners, hey, you guys, you're out of work. Oh, don't worry. We'll find something for you to do. Uh, It's always about being in it together when you're at the top looking down. And that's, he was so effete, so self-righteous. I was just talking to a friend of mine and the reason Hillary lost, of course, there's a variety of reasons, but the the, the reason Hillary, one reason Hillary, Hillary lost was because we knew about her, not because we didn't know about her, because we did indeed know about it. We saw enough of the narcissism. In fact, there was TMI with her. That's exactly it. Right. We had too much information about Hillary, and we didn't like it. And you know, I watch, and it's painful, and I continue to do it. Some of these. Uh, left-leaning media shows, you know, which is 90% of them. And they, well, Trump said that he was going to lock up his opponent. Uh, and that's unprecedented. That's third world dictatorship stuff, says uh, the, the left-wing media. He didn't say he was going to lock up his opponent because she was his opponent. She, the, He said, oh, he went along with it and repeated, let's lock her up because she broke the law. Yeah. Because she broke the law. And by the way, not only did she break the law when it came to her emails, and you know this, your audience knows this at this point, Dave, my big issue is the Freedom of Information Act. Mm -hmm. And so what did she break the law regarding? She made every effort to keep her public records private, 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 public records to keep them out out of the view of the public. If DOJ came to you yeah. and said, send us your uh, your your emails, and, right. and you got rid of half of them, what do you think would happen Well, to it's you? even worse than that, right? It's, it's one thing to get rid of, which is uh, usually against the law because there are re- records retention laws. But I said, oh, actually, I don't have any emails <laughs> because I decided to run my government work, and I, as you point out, I was in the DOJ, yeah. through my private uh, Hotmail account. Yeah. You know what they would say? You see that door over there? Leave your ID card when you walk That's out. That's right. So Absolutely. that you can't come back in the building. That's what they would have said. I guarantee it, Dave. Hot mail is as close as Hillary will ever come to hot. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'll, I'll, <laughs> that's Dave Ellswick, care of 101. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. It, 
it's amazing to me how the woman has gotten away with what yeah, she's yeah. gotten away with. Oh, and a friend of mine says, well, what about Trump with his uh, cell phone? First of all, uh, that article in the Times is disputed. Let's assume it to be true uh, for a moment. Trump is not trying to avoid the Freedom of Information Act. He's not. He wants to simply have access to a cell phone. And I don't blame him, by the way. You're telling me you can't get the president of the United States a working cell phone? That's yeah. remarkable. Uh, but in any event, so it's not comparable. It's even if you assume those statements in the left-wing media to be entirely true, and I'm at least skeptical of some of them. So skeptical in media. Why would you ever right, be skeptical of the media? It. I know it. It's just uh, that's the funny part. The media tells you be skeptical of what you hear from everybody except us. Except us. Yeah, we're. Oh, by the way, we've got to issue a correction. Oh, wait, there's another correction coming up. Yeah. Oh, we got that one wrong. Okay. I'm not saying they're entirely wrong. I don't uh, believe that they are the enemy of the people. By the way, I heard President Trump recently say, well, I didn't mean that as a blanket statement. I meant it for when they're putting out fake news. And yeah. you know what? I agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, when you're playing a, a certain side. That's right. Then you are an enemy. That's right. That's right. Because you're not unbiased. Yeah. So when you're unbiased media, shooting it down the middle, I... I still, I must admit, I tell you this every time, I still read the New York Times. I can guarantee you I see a palpable and dramatic change in both the headlines and the articles. They are much more openly aggressive towards this president than they have been towards any president, Republican or Democrat in the past. All right. Robert Steinbach is here. He's a law professor at UALR. His opinions are his and his alone and do not necessarily represent that of the school, Bowen School of Law, or UALR. Let's take a break. Uncle Sam licking his chops right now because why? Because there's money at stake, your money. He can't wait for you to retire because he could tax you at every turn, including, think about this now, he can tax your IRA and 401k unless you have a Roth. If you got a Roth, you paid the taxes. If you didn't, then the taxes are due when you start drawing the money out. Taxes on your Social Security benefits. Taxes on your investment income. It can be a field day for the government unless you take steps to defend yourself now. And you're invited to a special one-time screening of the documentary film, The Power of Zero, The Tax Train is Coming. That's going to be Thursday, November 29th at UA Breckenridge, right here in Little Rock. It's hosted by David Lucas host of the David Lucas Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Special event is free. It's limited to just 90 people. So here's the key. If you've saved a half a million dollars for retirement, call to reserve your free ticket now at 501-653-6690, 501-653-6690. And if you've under $500,000, I do believe you can buy a ticket to go see this uh, presentation 501-653-6690 all right so enthusiasm for voting this year for hispanics is huge this year the last u.s congressional midterm election 2014 and their enthusiasm outpaces that of all u.s adults the poll also found likely hispanic voters nearly twice as inclined to support Democrats for the House of Representatives as Republicans in Tuesday's elections. That could cause problems. Florida, Texas. 
That's would be my my uh, you know point on that. However, I just wonder about Hispanic voters. Although what Bill O'Reilly said at the end of my interview with him, maybe it's not such a big surprise after all. O'Reilly said amongst legal and illegal immigrants that have come to the United States, 50% are on public assistance. You know what I heard on Bill Maher related to this point? Did you know that according to Bill Maher, 7% of those born in the United States are born to illegal aliens? Oh, that doesn't surprise me. 7%? That doesn't surprise me. Almost a tenth of this country uh, 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 is born to illegal aliens? Mm -hmm. That's a huge number, Dave. And that changes, right? So people come here illegally, they break the law, and then they have children. And they're making up almost a, a, a tenth of the country, and 7%. that is why we have to really get involved in this 14th Amendment thing. We'll come back and talk about it here yeah. on the Dave Elfick yeah. Show. We got news that we got to get to. Once we have done the news, uh, Robert and I will be back with more. All right, back with you. Robert Steinbach is here, remember. He's a law professor at UALR. His opinions are his and his alone and do not necessarily reflect the Bowen School of Law or the uh, University of UALR. Probably 99% of his opinions. Maybe 1% does. I don't know. Anyway, so the 14th Amendment. Yeah. Let's go back and let's hit again that what we just uh, mentioned before we took a break. 7% of all live births in the United States are from illegal Illegal. Isn't that remarkable? That and of course this is Bill Maher, who's a big liberal, uh, but he has these glimpses of conservatism, and he, he said it's like he's got a mental illness, and every once in a while he gets, the rationality he, he, gets, he gets lucid. Exactly. What? Huh? He takes what? his pill or something. That's right. I don't know. That's right. And and he was his reaction was that's a big number. Mm-hmm. That's a big number, and it's really remarkable. That the left, their reaction is essentially no borders, no countries, no meaning, nothing. Just wow, ju- he just yeah. figured that out? Right. That's right. That, that's what amazes me, that it, right. it took you, Bill, it took you that long to right. figure this out. Right, right. Where, where The only thing that he has remained consistently smart about, uh, slash conservative, right, they're I will jokingly say they're the same. I'm obviously a conservative, but I'm not going to put it in those terms generally. Uh, it has been identity politics. He recognizes the horror show that is or are identity politics, which is to say, if you were to point out, say, the 7% number, you know what the left will do? Oh, racist. Oh, you're racist. Racist. Ist. You're some sort of ist. <laughs> you're an ist. You're, you're an ist. You remember or an Hillary? Ism. You're right. an ist. You're an ism. ism or an ist. You remember Hillary? She claimed she lost because of misogyny. Uh, uh, mis- I can't even get the word out. Misogyny. Thank you. I, uh, Misogynistic uh, thoughts. That's right. People don't like women. Really? Yeah. Really? That's the problem. No, they just didn't like you, and that was perfectly rational decision to make. And and we'll tell you this much: you could have been a man, and we still wouldn't have liked you. Well, of course, uh, that's the thing. It's just such 
typical scapegoating. And what I say to the left is keep it up. Keep it up because it ain't working. Mm-hmm. And and Republicans, conservatives, and most importantly, Americans are saying we've had enough of it. You know, here's what will be interesting and see if you, you can go along with what I'm, I'm going to say. Let's say tomorrow we wake or uh, Wednesday we wake up and some of us our worst fears. And one of my bad fears is that the Democrats are in control of the House again. Right. But we hold on to the Senate, right. and we got the presidency still. Of course. And, and by the way, the Supreme Court. Yes. And then we look at, during that two years, there could be an upside to that. Mm-hmm. Because the Democrats could do everything in their power to get rid of the, the tax cuts and all of the rest of the things that, that Trump has done and mm-hmm. fight against a lot of the commonsensical things that he has done Try to, you know, watch people's 401k start suffering. Watch the, uh, you know, Wall Street start suffering. They might do a great job of selling uh, Trump for 2020 without us doing much of anything. You're 100% right, which is it's easy to be the party entirely out of uh, power because you just get to stand on the side and squawk. Uh, But when you take some power... And then people get to see what you're really trying to do instead of just saying no to what the party in power is doing. Uh, that's where the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, there's one thing if you're the pow- the the party who's not in power, right? And you're you're trying to get good things done. I remember when the Republicans were trying to do this when they weren't in power uh, a few years ago before twenty was it 2010 that they lost the house. Or was it 2012? Maybe 2012. But anyway, bottom line is. And they would tell us, we're trying to get some of this common sense stuff done, but we can't. Because uh, the the Democrats are in in power. Okay, we can go along with that. It's a different story, though. If you take over and you got the power and you you can get it and you want to try to blame the other side, but... It sounds like you're using the same excuse that the other side used. Now it doesn't sound genuine. For sure that's right. But I think either party that takes power uh, or takes some power and then is unable to produce is going to be held to account in a different way than when you're out of power. That's just a matter of logic. Here's the other thing. Yes, sir. If you get out there in front and you're saying – we, you know, we want to do this, we want to do this, we want to do that, and people see that it's going to hurt their 401ks, it's causing unemployment to go up, suddenly they're going to be like, well, I can get on board with what the Republicans are trying to do. You know, I don't want this. And then when you run again, and in two years, those new people that get elected are going to have to run again. Every two years. Now. It's a different story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, we're going to be talking to uh, uh, Congressman French Hill shortly. Right? Yeah, about a little, about a, little after four o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, he's running against uh, a, a local guy. Who, Clark Tucker. Uh, by the way, who's a perfect, nice guy. Nice guy. Perfectly he is. nice guy. Got a great family. That's right. No Clark, all right? I've had yeah. him on my show. Have you? Yeah. I'd never vote for him. Exactly. <laughs> and, and here's the problem, right? So the, this is like this election here in Little Rock is 
kind of a petri dish of what's going on in the country. Do you want to take a, a, a young, relatively inexperienced Democrat who's going to side with the opposition the whole time? He's going to thwart efforts to, to be it for um, legislation that is conservative legislation. Obviously, he wouldn't vote on appointees to the Supreme Court, but he would certainly express his opinion on that kind of thing. Uh, or do you want a solid conservative like French Hill? Now, for you and me, it's an easy answer, right? French Hill all the way. Yeah. Uh, but that's the dilemma that people sort of in the middle on the cusp face. And this is not the time to gamble with who you're going to put in office and mess up the success that we're having economically, as well as, by the way, you and I uh, take a conservative line when it comes on securing the border. It's necessary. This has nothing to do with, with whether or not we want legal immigration. Yep. This is illegal immigration. And I love when the leftist media is telling me, they're saying, Donald Trump is lying when he says it's an invasion. You believe that? Ly- lying? Do you know, you know, you're lying when you use the word lying like that. Yeah. That's not a lie. Now, you might say, well, I think that's not the, I wouldn't use that word. I think it's an exaggeration. I don't think it's that much of an exaggeration, I, by the no, way. No, it's not. Right? But let's, it's okay to say I would choose a different word. It is simply a lie to say using the word invasion is a lie. It is not a lie. No. It is, it is a description. If I eat a piece and of chicken. Right? It is a true description if i eat a piece of chocolate and i say that that chocolate is fantastic the best piece of chocolate i've ever had someone else comes and goes it's all right no you know it's okay you're lying yeah i'm not lying that's my description and it's not out of the world it's not a description like the the moon is made out of cheese it's a rational description but this is what's problem with the, the is the problem with the media this day these days there's no it's our opinion is truth Anything mm-hmm. else is a lie. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of interesting. You don't want to call it invasion. What do you call a group of five thousand five people. to ten thousand right. people coming to the border saying we're coming in, come hell or high water? Right. right. That now, seems I, like an invasion to me. I, I'm not saying it's an invasion force that's going to overthrow the government. No. No one said that. No. We're not saying it's an invasion force that will overcome the military that's down there. No one said that. But that this is not a type of invasion of a, a group of people who are saying, your laws on immigration, your laws regarding the border don't matter. And on top of that, you have the people that they get on there and they go, well, the army can't exert their force right. because this is a domestic right. situation. Right. No, it's not. It's the border. It's the, it's the border. border. This is different. Be a different story if all the illegal immigrants rose up in Philadelphia. Exactly. That's exactly right. But so, not when they're trying to to make a bull rush across but, our border. Are you telling me that the border can't be defended by the U.S. military? Yeah. That's how absurd these statements are. Yeah. Must be a lie, Dave, according to the media, right? Must be another lie. Well, surely it's a lie because I'm a white old guy. Yeah, exactly. That's the only group, by the way, we've talked about this before, that you can say that about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're just an old white guy. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, what? I was talking about that with somebody today. A gentleman was having problems is looking for 
work and he's white he's not elderly but he's older yeah and i said man i said you got a problem you got three strikes on you right now you're white you're older and you're conservative they're, they're, they're certainly not going to give him any preferences no absolutely right. not although just say you got one one thousandth of a percent of indian blood and your name happens to be Warren. That's then right. You're okay. Then you're okay. Well, that's it. We've talked about this, but I've got to raise it before we go to break, Dave. Right. Uh, which is, I love how the left wants all of these special provisions for minority groups, but a bunch of white folks, when they're on the left, seem to take advantage of them, like uh, Elizabeth Warren did mm-hmm. when she got her job. Yeah. Well, they take, they oh, take advantage of whatever they can. But, and, and it's always, oh, we need to hold a spot open for such and such. Wait a second. Your spot's pretty good. Why don't you quit? Yeah, you quit. Right. somebody else have your job. Exactly. No, 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 no. It's the other guy's spot that we want to hold open. Always. Always. All right. Break. Got more coming your way. Robert Steinbach is here. He's always fun to have on the air. He'll be with us until 6 o'clock. Conduit. Uh, news is going to be on five to six as 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 well, and then you got French Hill going to join us in the uh, next hour. Congressman will be on about fifteen twenty minutes, right out of the box here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It is kind of fun uh, to to watch some of this. Hey, nice job. Well, we'll see how long that lasts. Good job, though. <laughs> you, I fixed Dave's digital uh, clock here in the studio, yeah. but. I think it might be a clock that that is correct twice a day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got it. I think you got well, it's a, it's a little bit off from our our computer clock by about a minute, but that's I can deal with that yeah. without any problem. Maybe whatsoever. it'll catch up. You never yeah, know. Yeah, who knows, you know? It might be a democrat clock. Mm-hmm. You know, they catch up sooner or later. They get mugged, they become republicans. Yeah, that's right? that's that is true. All right, so um what has been fun to read is some of these stories that are are out right now. Where was it that I had here? It was talking about uh, the Democrats and it, Dem, Democrats traumatized by 2016 having flashback nightmares. Maybe they need some what of those. What if is, they lose, what is it? The, the, you know, the, the therapy dog and the counseling. You remember that was an issue yeah. over here at the university. I won't go into too many details at the moment, if you recall. Uh, but uh, when Trump won, uh, there were there were folks saying, "Oh, well, we need special uh, therapists to come in because Trump won." Therapists, go drink a cup of coffee, get out of your diapers, take off the fluffy, uh, um, uh, you know. Um, Pajamas. And I'm, shut up. Right. That's it's a big enough thing. enough already. Yeah, you stole it from us. Yeah. yeah. She won more votes. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, and, She's got more votes. Right. But I know that, you know, the rules say you've yeah. got to have electoral votes. But the, she the, got more votes. That team ran up and down the, uh, uh, got more yards, but didn't get any. Uh, didn't get more score. More touchdowns, but they yeah. got more yards. Okay, yeah. good for you. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Here's Absolutely. a trophy. Here's yeah. a leftist trophy. Yeah, you can. Right. You can play exactly. Yeah. Okay, so with the final polls finished, this is a this is out of the uh, a Union Tribune. With final polls finished, the last ads cut. Well, over thirty five million people already having voted. Political operatives in both parties expect Democrats to win back control of the House and make significant gains in state capitals, even as Republicans keep narrow control of the Senate. Let me tell you where they're not going to make 
significant uh, gains in the state capital. Arkansas. Arkansas, that's correct. Uh, But as President Trump's victory in 2016 show, upsets do happen. And in this election, several factors exist that could change the expected results in either direction. That's right. Among the big question marks, and we're going to talk about these more in next hour, how badly will Democrats lose among blue-collar white voters, Mm -hmm. the group that forms the base of Trump's support? Mm -hmm. What will turnout look like among Latinos? who are key to Democratic hopes to win Senate seats in Although Arizona, think, Nevada, and several House seats in California and elsewhere. the left overrates their popularity with the Latino community. The question, And this should make you pause when you hear this pollster say this. The question is, have we engaged the Latino community enough to generate turnout? It's going to vary from place to place. Let me tell you, when you hear that, here's what I hear. Have we given them enough mm-hmm. to make them want to vote for mm-hmm. us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To get up and, and get off their couch or whatever yeah. Yeah. and come and vote for us. And in an election where partisans on both sides seem fired up to vote, how will those with weaker partisan ties divide? About four in ten partisans on each side said they were closely following the election campaign. That's a big shift from 2010 when the Republicans won the House majority. Uh, and there's our answer that I had was a 2010, 2012, right, right. Uh, In the run-up to that election, a lot more Republicans than Democrats took an interest in the campaign, and that correctly forecast a poor Democratic turnout. Four years before that, it was Republicans who were demoralized, and Democrats who took the most interest, leading to a Democratic wave. Earlier this year, Republican strategists worried that Democrats once again had the sort of enthusiasm edge they enjoyed in twenty in twenty oh six, but in the closing weeks of this campaign, that concern has disappeared. Quote it's cl- it's clear that in most places Republicans have solved our September enthusiasm problem, said Glenn Bolger, a public opinion strategy and leading Republican polling firm. But that cleared up only one of the big problems the Republicans face. He noted, what's not clear is whether we've solved our problem with independent voters. That will be the difference between winning and losing in close races. Let's see. USC Times poll found self-described independents favoring Democratic control of Congress this year by 62% to 38%. Overwhelmingly, that's because the election has turned into a referendum on Trump. No, if it turned into a referendum on Trump, the independents would be voting for Republicans. So what uh, has changed their mind? Is it because they love socialism like everybody else seems to love socialism now until you're going to have to live under it and then you're going to wish to God you hadn't voted for it? I think I told you, Dave, this story once. You know, my father... Um, lived under Nazi occupation in Poland and then Soviet occupation. He was right on that border area. I don't know exactly where. Uh, The Nazis invaded and six weeks later, through agreement, because the Nazis and the Soviets were allied at the time, people don't seem to discuss that when, at least the the Russians don't want to discuss that when they tell the world that they saved the world from Nazism, mm-hmm. and they certainly did help, uh, but they also uh, contributed to the rise of Nazism. 
In any event, the Soviets is, not the Russians. Uh, but in any event, he lived under uh, both. Uh, and then, of course, um, after the war, as he told it, he tried to get where the Americans were, and he did. That was Germany. He went to a displaced persons camp. Then he went from there to Israel and from Israel to the United States. And what's interesting, I, I, we were watching television one one year, and there was some political campaign and he uh, said, well, it's just, you know, it's propaganda. And it was. It was some, you know, advertising propaganda, good or bad, but it's propaganda. And I asked him, I said, well, is, was, is the propaganda any different here than it was in the Soviet Union? And he said, oh, my gosh, of course. Uh, it was all encompassing in the Soviet Union. All right, and, tell it more when yeah, we come back. Absolutely. Got news coming up. Robert Steinbach will be back with us. Congressman French Hill will be with us as soon as we get back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we move into the 4 o'clock uh, hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. Robert Steinbach, of course, still here in the studio, joining us by phone. None other than our congressman from District 2, and of course, French Hill is here. Congressman, how you doing? Dave. Great to hear you. Great to be with you, and thanks for the invitation. Well, absolutely. Uh, how's early voting been looking? Do we know how many Republicans are voting in early voting? I think uh, voting is up from looking at the uh, analysis that I've seen. Strong vote in Saline County, mm-hmm. particularly, which I think is going to bode well for Republicans. Um Voting as a percentage of the total vote in the district in Pulaski looks actually a little low to me. I know that seems like uh, against the... Uh, yeah, it seems weird, reason. huh? Yeah, that doesn't mean the vote is down. It means as a relative to the vote in the other counties. So I'm not suggesting it's down. The vote's up in Saline, Faulkner, and Pulaski County over 2014 levels. Uh, which is good. We got more citizens participating in our democracy, and I think that's wonderful. Well, it's good for you. Pulaski County's typically blue, so if it's down a little bit, helps you. As far as I'm concerned. Well, we're working hard to. We've been making phone calls today and uh, waving signs and getting the last votes out. We want to make sure all of our conservative voters go to the polls. If they don't do it this afternoon, do it tomorrow. We need to. Uh, win this seat. I want to go back and continue the work to keep a strong economy, strong national defense focus, help our vets. And we need, we got to have our voters turn out. So that's the mission of the day. Congressman, let me ask a question. I was just, I was posing this to Robert earlier on last hour. You know, everybody is expecting, all the pollsters are expecting the Democrats to take the House. I don't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. But if they do, let's say they do. At that point, they could really screw the pooch. If they fight against everything you all have done over the last two years, the tax cuts and everything else, people's 401ks are taking it in the rear end, uh, the stock market caves and whatnot. This This could bode like huge in 2020. Those people better understand they got to run again in two years, right? Yeah, I think if they took the House back, Dave, in my opinion, it would be bad for uh, the economy. I think we'd see the progress we've made over the last two years ground to a halt. I do think we'll pick up seats in the Senate. Mm -hmm. And I think a narrow House uh, majority by the Democrats would just produce chaos. They're going to investigate Kavanaugh, Jerry Nadler says, who will be the head of the Judiciary Committee. He's going to investigate 
open up investigations of all of Trump's finances. He's going to do that. Maxine Waters says she's going to get his tax records. She says she's going to expand regulation. Mrs. Pelosi says she's going to wait, raise taxes. They're going to expand the government every chance they get. But, of course, we do have our Republican majority over in the Senate to block a lot of of that work. So I think you'll just see investigations, thwarting, resistance, and really not what the American people want, which is continued progress towards a great economy, strong national sense, global leadership, which is what we've achieved in the last two years. Yeah, and, and, you know, it just – I think it will – and it doesn't bother me, but I think it, dest- it will destroy their party. I'm just telling you, you want to see uh, Donald Trump have a 2020 like Reagan had the second time he ran against Mondale? Just yeah. do that. Just do that. I'm just telling you. Americans well, will throw them out on their ear. I agree. If they, if, they, if they do take the House in this election, their chance of holding it in 2020 against a, you know, President Trump reelect is is low. And it'll give him another, you know, another campaign plank. Look at what the good things I could have done on immigration, the good things I could have done on health care, the good things I could have done on border security. But I've been thwarted by Nancy Pelosi and her allies like Maxine Waters and Jerry Nadler. Well, that, that tells me that I know you're going to look, I'm, I'm going to just go to bed tomorrow night. Relax. Don't worry about a thing. You're cool. Well, I bless you for that. I'm I'm going to run through the tape. I've been uh, working hard all year to tell people. And and to me, the mission is, look, our country is better off than it was two years ago. Yes, it is. Economically, our vets are, our children's hospital is, our roads, our uh, focus on health care delivery for our vets. A national security. National security, the leadership in Europe, the leadership across the world, it's, you know, it is better. Our alliances with Israel and other important countries like that as well, may I add? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, I find the whole issue, some of the issues brought up by the opposition party so amusing. I mean, here he is, President Trump, working with Republicans in the House and Senate, trying to implement Bill Clinton's policy to move the uh, uh, American embassy to Jerusalem. Bill Clinton's Southwest border security plan, as outlined in his State of the Union speech. I mean, it's like we're living in another world because the Democrats have abandoned their national security preferences. They've abandoned their economic uh, growth uh, group. They've abandoned their law enforcement uh, reputation. They've abandoned their a national security reputation. I just don't understand it. So Americans need to get out and vote Republican and keep this progress moving forward. Well, I found that Congressman really remarkable when the Democrats historically were strong friends of the country of Israel, the state of Israel. Republicans also, uh, although there were some tensions historically, and Democrats have essentially given up uh, on the alliance with Israel and uh, in favor of these non-democracies in the Middle East. And they they repeatedly said, "Well, we shouldn't have moved the embassy. We're gonna we're going to anger some of these autocrats, some of these totalitarians." And by the way, we haven't extracted anything from our friend and ally israel now what kind of language is that about an ally about a friend uh in favor of essentially countries that we are and should continue to be highly skeptical of but because republicans decided that it was a good thing to do the democrats concluded it must be bad 
Yes, but this is this is the, this is what's wrong with our politics. This is like uh, the Queen and Alice in the Wonderland saying mm-hmm. that she believes ten impossible things before breakfast. <laughs> the Democratic Party has abandoned their long-standing common sense positions on Southwest border enforcement, law enforcement, our partnership with Israel for peace in the Middle East, our opposition to the Mullahs in Tehran. Uh, and and uh, I mean, I think Americans have to wake up to that fact. This is not their grandfather's Democratic Party. This is a party that's moving rapidly to the left. And when I say left, I mean socialist left. They've gone so far left that in the 60s, they used to be at the vanguard of the First Amendment. They have entirely abandoned that. They never accepted the second. They've they've basically given up on the Bill of Rights. Well, it's the world we live in. It's why I encourage everybody who has not voted early over the last uh, two weeks to really plan their day tomorrow and get out and vote. You have a few minutes left this afternoon at the courthouse in our seven counties to go vote. But it's important. This is an important election. I think we've demonstrated that we've made progress on the economy, progress for vets, accountability, progress in international affairs. Uh, And just I cite There's no better example than the North Korea situation, which for 25 years languished in oblivion with no progress. And at least we have a change in direction and a process of communication going that still has a goal, which is the denuclearization of the peninsula. And as Reagan said frequently of the Russians, trust but verify. That's right. That's right. That's where we are. Mm -hmm. But we're working it and we're trying to make that change. And that's why I support re-imposition of sanctions on Iran today, because Iran is no friend to the United mm-hmm. States, either no. in Middle Eastern policy or in our policies in, in Europe, Asia, or here at home. Yeah, I think that Iran's behind this all these caravans that they're calling, this invasion that's going on. I think they're funneling money through Venezuela, and Venezuela's just being a proxy for them. Well, there's a new... Uh, there is definitely an, an axis uh, in the drug cartel business into Latin America from the Middle East, and we have clear evidence of the work of Iran in Venezuela. The Cubans are very much involved in Venezuela and in Central America. Americans should not be naive about the turmoil, turmoil that we have in Central America and some of the sources of it, uh, besides bad government poverty Mm -hmm. and lack of economic growth we know those things are there and america and the mexican uh, policy has been to try to make those conditions better in salvador and honduras and guatemala and you know we've we've had a tough time it's not been good in recent years but it's made worse by the uh, behind the scenes meddling of people who want to weaken America's uh, strength, and that would be Venezuela connected with Cuba and in turn connected with the Iranians. All right. Well, Congressman, I wanted to have you on because I want people to hear from you for the last moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Get out, vote, throw your vote behind this man, keep him in office. He's done a good job. He'll continue to do a good job. And I got to tell you, for me, at least from my lips to our listeners, I trust this guy. I've already voted for him. Go vote. That's what God I bless say. You. All right. Thank we'll, you very much. We'll let you go. Faith, and let's have a big day tomorrow. I agree. Thank you very much, Thank Congressman. You, Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And yeah, but the key is this. You got to get off your couch and go vote. You, you, you may know, think, hey, well, he, right. he he's going to beat Clark Tucker like a bad drum. That doesn't happen unless you get up off your couch 
and go vote. And I'm glad to hear they're having a huge turnout in Saline County. That bodes well. Yeah, but uh, look, that's what the Dems thought when Hillary lost. Mm-hmm. So if you want to gamble, the thing about gambling is you can lose. If you go and vote, take the risk out. Yeah. So uh, plan your day, squeeze it in. The, all the polling uh, offices are open tomorrow, every one of them, because tomorrow's election day. Yep. So you don't have to just, oh, which one's open today for the early vote? Everyone is open. Find out which one is yours. You can find and out online. Go. And I found out the same way. I didn't know which was mine because mm-hmm. I moved. Found out online uh, and go and vote. Yeah, they switched up things in Cabot, so yeah. make sure you look around. As a Cambodian, let me <laughs> just say, you need to make sure uh, you go to the right polling place. All right, uh, about uh 20 minutes after four let's get a break in we'll come back we got more this hour with uh, robert steinbach then we'll be joined in the five o'clock hour by the good folks at conduit news all right have you uh, been reading and keeping track of this uh report that came out from the senate judiciary committee about kavanaugh no what happened see you don't even know it's out do yeah you? i don't even know it's out 414 page document authored by the Republican majority and released over the weekend, contains a number of key revelations. Want to hear it? Please. Very interesting. The report summarizes a statement from a man who believes he may have been involved in an encounter with Christine Blasey Ford around the time of her claim of sexual misconduct against Kavanaugh. Some of this emerged during the Supreme Court confirmation process, but the report provides more details. Ford was, of course, the key witness against Kavanaugh in detail. She said Kavanaugh tried to remove her clothing during high school party, had trouble because she was wearing a bathing suit underneath them. She said she ran off when Kavanaugh's friend Mark Judge jumped on top of them and they fell off the bed. Kavanaugh denied the accusation. On October 6th, the Senate confirmed him to the Supreme Court. The man who claims he may have had the encounter with Ford was one of 40 people committee investigators interviewed as part of its probe into the sexual allegations against Kavanaugh, which was done alongside the FBI background check that was compiled in a matter of days. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley, Republican of Iowa, in releasing the report said, quote, there was no credible evidence to support the allegations against Kavanaugh. Ford testified she was 100% positive Kavanaugh assaulted her, rejecting the notion of a case of mistaken identity. But the report gave details from the purported witness claiming exactly that scenario. The man told the investigators that when he was a 19-year-old college student, he had visited Washington over spring break and kissed a girl he believes was Kavanaugh's accuser. He said that the kiss happened in the bedroom of a house which was about a 15 to 20 minute walk from the Van Ness Metro, that Dr. Ford was wearing a swimsuit under her clothing, and that the kissing ended when a friend jumped on them as a joke. The Van Ness Metro is in Northwest D.C. His name was redacted in the report, but investigators interviewed him the day before Ford testified, September 27th. The report also summarizes statements from another man who said that after graduating high school in Hampton, Virginia, he made several trips to D.C. that summer. During one trip, he attended a house party where he kissed and made out with a woman he met who he believes could have been Ford. The man said that based on old photographs of Judge Justice Kavanaugh he has seen on the news, he believes the two of them 
share a very similar appearance. His name was also redacted. Although each individual described details that in some respects seemed to fit Dr. Forum's allegation, both men described consensual encounters. Ford's attorney did not respond immediately to an email seeking comment. Was there witness tampering? Committee investigators are in the process of still trying to determine if Ford friend Monica McLean, a former FBI employee, tampered with a witness. Several media outlets have reported that the FBI's supplemental report indicated that Leland Keisler, a friend of Dr. Ford, felt pressure from Dr. Ford's allies to revisit her initial statement to the committee that she did not know Justice Kavanaugh or any knowledge of the alleged incident, the report says. Ford said that when Kavanaugh assaulted her at a party, uh, Kieser was one of the people downstairs. The report added that, according to news articles, Kieser reported that McLean and others contacted her to suggest she, quote, clarify her account. Mistaken identity at Yale. They had that about people. Ford Friends, the report summarizes a statement from William Rand, who went to the University of North Carolina with Ford and told investigators that Ford had a very robust and active social life. His statement seemingly is at odds with Ford's assertions that she had a difficult time making friends due to her encounter with Kavanaugh. He also stated that Dr. Ford did not seem to be afraid to be in rooms or apartments with only one entrance, which contradicts her claim to the committee that she had to build a second front door to her house due to the trauma of the alleged assault. And it goes on and on. But none of us, how interesting, have heard anything about this in the run-up to the midterms. Yeah, the the Democrats thought they could thwart the nomination. They threw everything they could at it. And then when they were not successful, uh, all of their issues and their claim that, oh, the court can't operate and it's never going to function correctly. All of that went out the window because it was transparently false to begin with. So, uh, look, I've, I've said all along that as with any claim of wrongdoing by anybody, there has to be some threshold. It can't just <laughs> this notion, right? Well, you got to believe. Well, you can't just believe without questioning. You can't just believe without listening. You can't just believe without talking so this notion you just got to believe is make believe and you have to meet some threshold i don't care what the threshold is meaning i do but there are various thresholds it doesn't need to be beyond all reasonable doubt that's the criminal setting it could be something lower than that and whatever normal threshold one would impose in this circumstance uh they didn't chin the bar And if you don't chin the bar, if you don't present enough evidence to substantiate your claim, then the claim remains unsubstantiated. It's not a toss-up. It's not a coin toss. We don't decide that you've done something wrong because it's just as easy to decide you've done something wrong as it is to decide that you've done not done something wrong. That's not the way it works. That's not – and the irony is the left is talking about, oh, Donald Trump is violating all the norms. Well, it's, it's beyond just a norm. It is a basic principle in our judicial system, both civil and criminal, that the moving party must prove its case to some level. They didn't do so here. It's that simple. They didn't do so, and therefore, 
It's unsubstantiated. And people say, well, uh, can you say it didn't happen? No, it's not how it works. The moving party must establish that something occurred. And if they can't establish it, then the eyes of laws and reasonableness, it hasn't, uh, it has no bearing. All right. A break, news, and then we're back. Robert Steinbach is my guest, law professor over at UALR, and uh, he will return with me when we come back after the news here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I know you who are listening on the radio cannot see my show, but those who are watching on Facebook Live, which we do every day now, and you can hear all the audio that we play, uh, whether it's our voices or you know commercials calls, and all yeah. the rest, phone calls, everybody got to hear what the uh, congressman had to say. I was busting a move in here, man, with that music that they play for traffic. Now if we can only get them to get the lyrics correct, we'll be all right. All right, so um, this story from the Associated Press. NBC, Fox News Channel, and Facebook all said today they will stop airing President Donald Trump's campaign advertisement that featured an immigrant convicted of killing two police officers. Now, this is, I was talking to some people earlier today. It makes me remember the... uh, H.W. Uh, Bush ad, the Willie Horton ad that ran when he was running against Dukakis. CNN had rejected the same ad, declaring it racist. Of course, anything that CNN doesn't agree with is racist. That's always the response, right, Dave? Yeah. If they don't like something, they call it racist. You're an ist, you're an ism. Uh, they keep you off the air, and then they say, we're unbiased. Right, but they take, oh, I'm sorry, we're going to screen your political commentary because we're going to determine that you're racist and we're going to kick you off the air. And you're racist because we say you're racist. Right, right. Uh, Asked before leaving for campaign rallies if he thought the advertisement was offensive, Trump said a lot of things are offensive. Your questions are offensive a lot of the times. Uh, The ad. There's some hard truths, right? Look, the fact is, you hear the left constantly say the following. Well, you know, the crime rate of immigrants is lower than the crime rate of Americans. Now, that fact or that assertion is in dispute. But let's assume it to be true for the moment. Even if true, if if you're talking about illegal immigrants, then the crime rate for illegal immigrants, if they were obeying the law, would be zero. Because they wouldn't be here. <laughs> That's right. So here's a little math problem, third grade math problem for the leftists. How much crime would be committed by illegal immigrants if they obeyed the law and weren't allowed in this country? The crime rate for them in the U.S. would be absolutely zero. But it ain't zero. Nope. Talk about uh, Kate Steinle. It ain't zero for her. No. Talk about the two cops killed by the guy in this video that that, uh, Trump had made. Uh, They would be alive today. So don't tell me that the crime rate for illegal aliens is lower than for Americans. You know what the, the, the key distinction between illegal aliens and Americans are? Illegal aliens are illegal. They're not supposed to be here. They're not Americans. They're not Americans, and they wouldn't be in this country committing any crimes if we had a strong border security policy. Please stop. You're showing your racism. As well as logic. You know, it's funny how those two <laughs> things tend to intersect. Um, of Just to be clear, while you put the former in quotes, because it's just, it's the pablum, it's the nonsense that the left throws out to end debate. But 
But I tell you now, Dave, as I've said before, it's not ending debate with us because we're calling it out. We call it out on the Dave Ellswick show. We call it out everywhere where the left wants to attack. They want to start throwing down the, the racist card. Guess what? We'll, we'll trump that card, if I may continue the analogy, because uh, uh, just because the left doesn't like something doesn't make it racist. Now, let me run you back uh, into the late 70s before I went <clears throat> into the Air Force, but I worked for the Chicago Sun mm-hmm. and uh, a newspaper. Right. And uh, I went out and, and covered stuff. And we were covering Jesse Jackson when he was, you know, Operation Breadbasket and all that. Now I'm teaching history again, but you get, just just look it up. Uh, anyway, because we were doing seri- uh, serious journalism at that time, and there were questions to be asked about how that money was being spent, and it wasn't being spent on poor black people, believe me, uh, we were called racist. Of course. That we, that we dare of course. investigate into the Reverend Jesse Jackson. Yeah. Well, that's the way it works. So that's if you want to write to me and call me a racist, it has no effect on me. I've been called a racist for a long time. Uh, the ad that we're talking about has already likely been seen by more people than it would if it kept running. It aired last night on Sunday night football game between the Pats and the Packers which drew the highest overnight ratings of the franchise's history. During football season, it's usually the most watched show on television, often with around 20 million viewers. Uh, MSNBC also aired it on Morning Joe today. Released last week, the advertisement includes footage of a Louis Bracamontes, a twice-deported immigrant from Mexico, sentenced to death in California for killing two police officers. He's seen smiling in a court appearance and saying, I will break out soon and I will kill more. The ad says without evidence that Democrats let him into our country. Well, if you look at, you know, the laws that the Democrats support and push, I think you can legitimately make that statement. It shows masses of people shaking at a fence, apparently trying to break it down and end it with the tagline, Trump and Republicans are making America safe again. NBC was the first of the three companies to say it was stopping the advertisement on Monday, apparently after a fierce online response. Quote, after further review, we recognize the insensitive nature of the ad and have decided to cease airing it across our properties as soon as possible. Notice they didn't say that the point it is making has validity. It was insensitive. Insensitive. To some people. Uh, Marianne Gambelli, Fox News' president of advertising sales, said the commercial was pulled on Sunday upon further review. Fox did not immediately say how many times it had aired on either Fox News or uh, Fox Business. Facebook initially ran the ad, but that was an air company spokesman, Andy Stone said, because it violates the company's policy against, check this out. Supporting conservatives? No. No, I'm sorry. Sensation content. Sensational content, really? Are we talking about Facebook? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Facebook is still allowing its members to post the ads in their news feeds, though. Of course. Trump's campaign manager, Brad Pascali, tweeted that NBC News, CNN, and Facebook had chosen to stand with those illegally in this country. 
He said the media is trying to control what you see and think. Thank of course you very, they are. Thank you very much. Uh, the president's son, Donald Trump Jr., tweeted over the weekend, noting CNN's refusal to air the advertisement that, quote, I guess they only run fake news and won't talk about real threats that don't suit their agenda. CNN said, though, Twitter through Twitter that it was made, quote, abundantly clear, end quote, through its coverage, that the through their coverage. Of course. Okay, listen, their li- listen to what they oh said, all right? It was made abundantly clear through its coverage that the ad was racist and declined to air it when the campaign sought to buy airtime. Need I say more? See, they make their judge, jury, and executioner. They They decide it because of how we report the news. It's racist. Exactly. Unbelievable. But anyway, uh, you can see the ad. I I don't know if you can see it on Facebook or whether they've blown it out or not. Just look around Facebook. In fact, uh, if if Elizabeth is waiting, uh, listening, if you can find it, Elizabeth, post it on my timeline. We can we can share. So go ahead and and share it for everybody so they can see it. It is not racist. It's no more racist than the Willie Horton ad was. Well, and the other thing is the the notion that the press is now going to be the arbiter of political advertising. And by the way, for some reason, largely screening out only the conservatives. And by the way, that's not only you mentioned Fox News as well. Yeah. Meaning, uh, they're the, they're leaning further the, to the left. They're, they're the falling in line uh, to political correctness uh, the way um, the mainstream leftist media is from time to time as well, and it's disappointing. Yeah, it's really disappointing because now on Fox, you got to choose which shows you want to watch, the ones that will be, you know, maybe show some conservative thought in them and the ones that absolutely do not. I mean, I like I like Tucker. I like The Five. I enjoy uh, Hannity when I when I decide to watch him and things of that nature. Uh, but uh, let's face it, Shepard Smith is leaning so far to the left now it's ridiculous well Shepard is one of the guys and I like uh, his reporting as a general matter uh, but I, when he says well it's not an invasion again you, if you and they're not dangerous oh right right look not, right at the camera right, and right, said right. that and there's 5,000 people coming across the border and he can attest not knowing any of them that none of them are dangerous it's, just, it's make-believe and remember as I just said when zero illegal aliens come across the border, then we can confidently say that no illegal alien will have committed a crime. Hmm. Can I say, we got to get a break in. Got to do that. Let's take the time, take a break. It's about a quarter till five, five o'clock. Conduit News will be with us along with Robert Steinbach here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. We've got uh, about eight minutes remaining here, uh, Robert. Yes, Before sir. we're joined with the Conduit Look forward. Uh, News, and yeah. we're going to talk to them and see what's going on with them. Right. I just got a note back from Elizabeth, and she has she says, got it, which means that she got the ad. Yeah, she's going to post be, that ad. be watching for my uh, Facebook uh, Dave Ellswick show, and you'll be able to see that commercial, if you haven't seen it, that you know Fox News and CNN and NBC is, <gasps> that's racist. Uh, I'm a First Amendment kind of guy. Uh, I don't find that racist. I'll tell you what I find. 
I'll tell you how about I'll tell you this. This was offensive to me. Had a comedian on Saturday Night Live made fun of a, a veteran lost his eye uh, while he was overseas fighting for your and and my freedom and made a you know a a stupid joke about it. I'm not asking him not to be able to get a job anywhere or anything. All I'm saying is that, you know, I think he should apologize for it. It's getting bad taste. If he doesn't want to, that's fine. You know, that it really is interesting that when the Dems say something that a Republican finds or conservative finds offensive, our response is, hey, you know, that's that's not nice. You should say sorry. Um, but it's not these attacks like banning the person, but exactly the opposite for the left, right? Yeah. If, the, if a Republican says something, a conservative says something that the Dems don't like, take them off the air, throw them into oblivion. It's really remarkable. And yet all along, the left calls Trump a dictator, right? And all of the behavior of the left when it comes to political correctness is totalitarian. Don't tell me that the behavior of the left regarding political correctness, regarding what they deem to be permissible speech, is anything shy of totalitarian behavior. I start, you know, we, we got cut off on one of the breaks, Dave. Yeah. I told you about my dad who was telling me about. Oh, yeah, we did right, finish it. I'll, I'll, finish, I'll sort of Six weave minutes. that in. Yeah, that he spoke about how totalitarian uh, the Soviet Union was on thinking. You weren't allowed to think something. You weren't allowed to say something. Uh, and that, and the left's behavior today mirrors that. And the only reason it's not at the level of the Soviet Union is because they don't exert the control that existed in the Soviet Union. But the left would be entirely satisfied with telling you you can't say these things you can't do these things you can't think these things and it's the first and the last thinking and saying that the that the left has entirely adopted notwithstanding that little old first amendment which allows us to do exactly the opposite as I've always said, Dave, the First Amendment doesn't protect greeting cards and nursery rhymes. It's for things, thoughts, ideas, and statements that other people don't like. And the response when the other people don't like it is they can answer. They can say, I don't like it. They can offer their opinion, but they can't stop the initial speaker from speaking or thinking. Because if they do, that's the Soviet Union. That's totalitarianism. And I guarantee you, this is not hyperbole when I tell you the left is moving in that direction. They haven't achieved it. I'm not saying that. But they are absolutely moving in that direction. And it's just downright dangerous. All right. So Saturday Night Live performer Pete Davidson received criticism on Sunday for a joke he made about Texas congressional candidate Dan Crenshaw. The segment focused on Davidson's first impression of midterm election candidates. Appearing on the show's mock news program, Weekend Update, Davidson made jokes and comments about multiple midterm candidates based entirely on their appearance. The obvious joke being that Davidson is uninformed about the election. Quote, the midterm elections are obviously a huge deal, Davidson said. And after I had to move back in with my mom, I started paying attention to them. The comedian recently ended a short-lived engagement to the singer Ariana Grande, forcing him to move out of her New York City apartment. He took shots at Florida Governor Scott, blah, 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 blah. 
The show pulled up an image of Crenshaw wearing an eye patch with Davidson commenting, this guy is kind of cool, Dan Crenshaw. You may be surprised to hear that he's a congressional candidate from Texas and not a hitman in a porno movie. I'm sorry, I know he lost his eye in war or whatever, he added. Here's, you know what's really interesting about this, Dave? Let's take it up a level. I, I saw that bit. It, wa- it, it, it wasn't terribly funny, but it wasn't, ter- you know, it had a couple of chuckles in it. Mm-hmm. They were chuckles. I dare say, Dave, I dare say, at the looks of other people, commenting on the looks of people. Yeah. Could you imagine, only imagine if a conservative, as a joke, made a comment about the looks of a, 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 another person? They would that Democrats, right? That's right. They would be vilified. And here is um, Davison, is yeah. Davison, uh, who is and Lauren Michaels has yeah, no problem. Yeah, and they're completely leftist. That's okay. He's allowed to be a leftist. I always say you're allowed to be wrong, right? So he's allowed to be a leftist, and he's making jokes about conservatives entirely based on their appearance. For the most part, I didn't think it was funny. I thought there were a couple of chuckles in there, but. That's what humor is, meaning it doesn't always have to land. It doesn't mean he's a racist or he's an appearanist, if such a word exists, right? Or any other Good type job. of, right? Any other type of ist. Okay, hold but, on. We, yes. got, we got Crenshaw audio. We got time. Oh, let's hear it. Here we go. I want us to get away from this culture where we demand apologies every time someone misspeaks. I think that would be very healthy for our nation to, to go in that direction. Uh, you know, we don't need to be we don't need to be outwardly outraged. I don't need to demand apologies from them. They can do whatever they want. Um, you know, it's uh, they're feeling the heat from around the country right now, and that's that's fine. But I would like him and Saturday Night Live to recognize something, which is that veterans across the country probably don't feel as though their wounds they received in battle should be the subject of a bad punchline for a bad joke. And, and here's the real atrocity of all this. It wasn't even funny, right? It was not original. It was not funny. It was just mean-spirited. And that's that. That's how I feel about it. All right. Well, right. there and, he was. And you see how the conservative says, yeah, it's just not a funny joke, but let's move on, right? You know what he said? He, he, he Later on, he made a statement. He says, I'll tell you what, Laura Michaels, why don't you dedicate a million dollars to the veteran group yeah, of your choice. That's right. That's right. Great stuff. All right. right. Come back. We're going to have our friends on from Conduit News. Brenda and Joe will be here. I'll be here. Robert will be here. We'll have a great discussion here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Into the final hour for this uh, Monday edition of the Dave Ellswick Show. And if you were listening earlier, you're probably wondering, where did Conduit News go? Well, they haven't gone anywhere except to be on in the 5 o'clock hour during drive time here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Robert Steinbach is still sitting here in the studio with me, and we're going to bring in Brenda Vassar-Taylor and Joe uh, Maynard from Conduit News, some uh, very uh, no, uh, knowledgeable guests that have been with me for almost this. Has it been the whole year this year, or are we just a little shy of that, guys? A little bit shy of a year. Yeah, but pretty close. We're pretty close. Yeah. We're, and, and and we're moving you over now to the 5 o'clock hour, and you're into uh, our major drive time, and everybody's going to get to hear uh, what we what we talk about normally at, at 3 o'clock. We're going to move you into 5 o'clock, and, and, and this is a good thing. So uh, 
We'll explain, everybody. Uh, let me give you a few moments to explain what Conduit News is, what it's all about. These are the folks that are behind the Paul Harrell Show that you hear on uh, our radio station every morning from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. And I know a lot of you are enjoying that show and like that show. He's been on now for almost a full year. will be one more month, and it will be a year. He's doing very well, and uh, people like him. So why don't you guys talk a little bit about Conduit and what it's all about, just so the listeners uh, be brought up. We started Conduit for Commerce as a a sort of a think tank patterned after the Heritage Foundation, but intended to be Arkansas's version. And out of that grew Conduit for Action. And David Ferguson uh, writes for us. He's one of the writers for Conduit for Action. He'll give us a lot of the insight. He used to be an attorney 32 years with the Bureau of Legislative Research. And people might need to know that those are the lawyers for your state senators, state house members. And so David was um, the director of that group of 100-plus attorneys for uh, the last six years of his career. And now we're we're proud to always uh, enjoy his articles on Conduit for Action that give usually gives insight you can't get anywhere else about how the Arkansas um, governments run from the inside. And then we have Conduit News, which sort of brings it all together. And uh, you can hear Paul. You can read the articles. You can get news from other areas. Facebook. Yep. Good stuff. Joe, go ahead. Jump in. Well, I think that fairly well summed it up. The uh, the entire enterprise is, is geared towards uh, small business becoming and, and uh, being a mechanism to make people's awareness about the facts of what Arkansas government is doing and in some cases has done. We put out a, a, a voting uh, scorecard and if people are interested in knowing and sometimes I wonder, uh, a lot of people seem to not be, they, they don't want to know, but for those that do, uh, we provide that level of research that is unparalleled in Arkansas. It's obviously from a conservative viewpoint, but it's all you know fact-based information, uh, footnoted, and we'll debate anybody. and And uh, we like to give the voters the enough information to make a decision. And we believe that if people are informed about what the government does in their name, that they will do the right thing. Now, our real focus is on small business and good uh, government policy to promote small business because we think that small business is the heart of liberty and freedom for all people and prosperity for all people. Yeah, as we started, we, we went around the state talking to small businesses all over the state, and it was amazing how similar the stories all are about you know starting a business and then the, the, the biggest obstacles to business eventually became government interference or government extortion or or the you know the rules are are stacked against them mm-hmm. uh, in favor of either big business or uh shearing them as a sheep for the politicians to to get what they wanted and so you, it, it was a common story about how people started businesses but we like we like business but we think the best way that government can uh, help business is if we keep government smaller rather than allowing it to grow like it naturally does on its own. So our mission at all the conduits is to measurably reduce the size and influence of government. All right, let me jump in here quickly. (coughs) 
because we just got an alert from the National Weather Service. Uh, at 5.07, Doppler radar is estimating up to two inches of rain has fallen in the past hour across uh, our warned area for uh, flooding. With additional heavy rain possible, flash flooding is likely to occur. Here's locations that will experience the flooding. They include Little Rock, Benton, Jacksonville, Searcy, Maumel, downtown Little Rock, uh, Desarc, the airport, Little Rock Air Force Base. Uh, you've got uh, BB, Shannon Hills, North Little Rock, Sherwood, Cabot, West Little Rock, Bryant, Lone Oak, North Little Rock, Southwest uh, Little Rock, and Ward and Bald Knob. In other words, if you can hear my voice right now, don't be driving into, uh, you know, moving water on the roads. Also, if you're going up north through that 67-167, understand this heavy rain is going to pool water in those areas and, uh, you know, slow down and, and be safe. So uh, we've got a flood watch in effect until 8 p.m. Uh, tonight. So keep uh, it's a flat, uh, flash flood warning. All right, back to uh, Brenda Vassar-Taylor and uh, Joe Maynard. And, of course, uh, like I said, that uh, our uh, law professor from UALR, Robert Steinbach, is here. Let me, again, for him, his opinions are his and his alone and not necessarily that of the school law or the good folks at UALR, which is a good thing as far as I'm concerned. There you go. Well, let's, uh, Joe and Brenda, here we are one day away from the election. The final, the final day for people to vote. There, we've got issue five on the ballot. I personally thought it should never be allowed on the ballot because I don't believe it's right for the voters to determine for. And in, you guys talk about small business. That small businessmen or any businessmen in general or women should have to pay a wage that is determined by the average citizen. They don't have any skin in the game other than they they uh, go and apply for jobs and agree to work for the amount of money that they're offered. Uh, how did we get so far away from that people who don't own businesses have every right to make rules for businesses? Well, it's certainly <laughs> antithetical to the free market, for sure. Uh, I, I can tell you the way I explain it to, to people I know is your value as an employee is determined by the number of people in the area that can do that job. And if it's a job that any person can be trained to do in you know 20 minutes and do do sub, uh, substantially correctly, you know, fries up, fries down. I mean, that's the job I want. You know, I, I can cook French fries, and when the buzzer goes off, I pull them out, I put them over here, put salt on them, and I'm done. I do it over and over and over again. Well, that anybody can do that job. That's right. So that that's the lowest possible value for the job. And depending on the number of people in the area that can do that, that sets the value. I think we remember when North Dakota had the big oil boom, they were paying Walmart people, you know, greeters or whatever, you know, 15 or $20 an hour just to get a warm body in there to do it at all. Yep. Well, there was not enough people in the area, and the, the skill set was kind of irrelevant. It's almost like that in Arkansas today, thanks to Donald Trump, is you know the economy is so hot that 
none of us can find people to work, and there's no danger of any of us in the small business uh, that require any skill paying anywhere near the minimum wage, which I never have in my business. And, you know, the other thing that's not discussed uh, about the minimum wage uh, is, of course, there's a cost to the business and there's a cost to the consumer, uh, but what is typically left out is the cost to employees as a group. I've never come out to say I'm for or against minimum wage. What I've said is minimum wage has costs and benefits. If you're the guy that winds up keeping his job and you were getting paid below what is a new minimum wage, so your wage gets raised, well, of course, you feel you're better off and and you are. You get more money. But guess what? For that to happen, other people are going to lose their jobs. Other minimum wage, low wage workers, because it's simple math, whether that gets passed on to the consumer or whether uh, uh, the increase is absorbed by the employer is determined by the elasticity of demand, uh, how much on each side. Uh, but what, regardless, what is clear, some employees lose their jobs because you've increased the cost of production now. And when you ask someone on the left, hey, uh, what do you think about the minimum wage? And they're, oh, yeah, uh, we should increase it. We should increase it to $15, let's say. And I would often say, $15, that's an interesting number. Why, why do you pick $15? Well, that, that gets them above the, uh, the poverty line. I said, well, why are, you, why are you so cheap? Why do you just want to get them just above the poverty line? Why don't you get them well into the middle class or the upper? Why don't you give them $50 an hour? Oh, well, we can't do that. You can't do that. Why can't you do that? Well, they create problems. What problems? And when you go down that rabbit trail, all of a sudden, they start to concede. They start to acknowledge that there are financial impacts on people they're not intending to harm by enacting an increased minimum wage. So my response is, good or bad, just be aware of what you're doing. And too many politicians, too many on the left have no idea what they're doing. Now, <laughs> excuse me, there are some on the right that misstate a, a key fact about the minimum wage, and that is that it all gets passed on to the consumer. Not necessarily so. Like I said, it depends on the elasticity of demand. Uh, so th- there are facts on both sides that are mistaken, but it tends to be that the left misstates the facts about the minimum wage in far greater uh, detail, far greater amount than the right. Well, well, anybody with experience in business would also bring up to uh, Dr. Steinbeck's point uh, in addition to that is you have a jump from, let's say, seven fifty to $15 an hour for a minimum wage. Yep. Well, what do you do with the people that are making $14 an hour today or $15 uh-huh. an hour today? 15, 15, yeah. Right. Uh, so now everybody's making the same. These people don't know anything. They have no experience. They've worked four years to get to 15 an hour. Then it only in, unless you want a bunch of trouble in your company, you're going to have to do something for them as well. So yeah, it's a race to the bottom, pretty much. Don't yeah. forget the other part that uh, government gets more of the more money when people make more, and so it's like yep. a raise to your government revenues. Right, set the minimum wage to fifteen, and then raise the bottom tax bracket up, yeah. and they end up with the same amount of money, but the government gets more. Yep, that's so and that's the way it works work, a lot of times. Always offset it with you know now we can have fewer people work because government has more money. Well, we got. I got to get. I got to get a break in. We'll come back. We'll do more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Our special, and we got a lot of special guests here in the 
in the studio and on the phone. Now, Robert Steinbach here. We've got Brenda Vassar-Taylor and Joe Maynard. They're both from Conduit News. Man, I'm just Dave Ellswick. I get to, <laughs> I get to have them here on my show. I'm lucky every week to be able to do that. They'll be back to talk with us here in a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about our good friends over at uh, Sonny's. Sonny's will take good care of you. That's Sonny's uh, Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. I am turning my car over to RD at Sonny's on Wednesday. They're going to replace my transmission, which is starting to show some glitches, with one of their well-maintained total loss vehicle transmissions. And it's going to have a three-year parts and labor and unlimited mileage warranty on it. If anything goes wrong during that time, uh, then they'll fix it absolutely free. So I see this as a big-time win-win situation. They get my business. I get a three-year warranty, plus I save 50% or more on using a uh, transmission from a well-maintained total loss vehicle instead of buying something new. And when you got nearly 300,000 miles on a car, who wants to buy something new? I'll just put something on it that will make the car work the way it's supposed to and save me money. Can do the same for you. Just call 982-7451, 982-7451, and that's Sonny's Auto Salvage. All right, back with you again. Brenda Vassar-Taylor, Joe Maynard from Conduit News are with us, as well as Dr. Robert uh, Steinbach. I'm going dri- to drive him crazy now, Joe. I'm going to call him doctor all the time. I'm going <laughs> to... And every, I'm called Joe. Lawyers aren't called doctors, even though we should be. <laughs> I'm going to just say, I'm going to call him doctor, and I'm going to go, ah. Exactly. I'm going to stick my tongue out of him, ah. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll work on some other terms. <laughs> oh, there, there are plenty of them out there for lawyers. Don't worry about it. Let me tell you what. Don't worry. He knows them all, too, Robert. <laughs> no, doubt, no doubt. He uses them on me on a regular basis. Yeah, no we're, we're sitting here. We're, we're just about a minute away from the news, so uh, let me just sit here. And, and kill some time. How has the voter turnout been in early voting? Are you guys? Uh, do you guys know how it's going up where you're at? Yes, it's it's really up. I had it right here at my fingertips. But uh, Washington County and Benton County are, you know, showing increases. Um, I I noticed just reading them. The, you can tell me what you thought, but reading them from all of the state, it looked like to me that they were up in the red counties compared to the blue counties. Yeah, that's- they've been going up. Steadily, in the, even in the primaries, we've noticed that uh, for for several cycles now, and it's probably due to conduit news. Yeah, it probably is. To be honest with you, I, I got to tell you that uh, I, I had uh, Congressman Hill on uh, right at the top of the four o'clock hour. He said, "When you look at uh, 2014 to to this year, you know, apples to apples midterm election, that Saline County is just." blowing it out the doors right now and pulaski not so much which uh, i find interesting with the mayoral race that's going on in little rock right now although a lot of people turning out today russ came and showed me a, a picture during the break of uh, long lines downtown little rock uh people waiting to get in uh to vote right russ yeah, Chris Hamsler, who's the uh, public address announcer over at Pulaski Academy, is down there trying to vote, and he he snapped that shot, and the line is out the door and around the corner. All right. So the, some people turning out. What do you 
we got a minute here. Uh, Joe, Brenda, your thoughts real quickly. Tomorrow is supposed to be some some of the areas to the northeast and uh, midwest. Supposed to be some bad weather. You think that's going to turn uh, dampen the voter enthusiasm? Well, maybe. Maybe not. I, I wouldn't know. We've been in a few races where the rain always meant victory, so... <laughs> I want to talk about your transmission. I heard you talking about you letting RD work on your car. Oh yeah, I I, I let him. He's done several things for you. I, he's a good man. Oh yeah, I was going to tell you that you probably won't find a better deal. That that guy has got a great business. Yes, he does. I've been advertising for Sunnies for a long time. I've been using him for a long time, and of course, he's on my Tuesday Power Panel for a long time. He's a he's a good man. I have him on for one reason, one reason only, Joe small businessman and i want him to give the small business side of things something that people need to consider when they're looking at trying to change the laws in the state of arkansas he's one of those stories joe was talking about that we ran across when we first started conduit and uh, we listened to he and jennifer and they were very consistent with the other stories and they, yeah they've been consistent since the day we met him was it, what, 2012 or 2013 mm-hmm. yes they're good folks yep, good people all right you guys hold on have a cup of coffee or something. We'll be back in just a moment. Robert Steinbach, Brenda Vassar-Taylor, Joe Maynard, and Dave Ellswick back with you in a moment. We're going to get your news for you. Don't forget, we're under a flood watch now in the listening area. They're expecting a couple more inches of rain before 8 p.m. tonight. Drive carefully when you're driving out there. All right, back with you. Joe is here. Brenda's here from Conduit News. Robert's here from from over at the School of Law, and I'm here. And I just asked the questions and listened to what these folks are telling me. Let me ask this question. We talked about this earlier, and let's get uh, Brenda and Joe in on this. The uh, big uh, report on the Kavanaugh hearing has come out by Grassley and and the uh, Judicial uh, Committee, and they say there's no evidence of any wrongdoing by Kavanaugh in fact, there's evidence that there was wrongdoing by people who stepped up and said, yeah, you know, he raped me or this or that that was going on. Uh, interesting that we're, you know, we're talking about it here. I am I flip around to the other news stations and crickets, absolute crickets. What do you guys think? I think there needs to be an investigation into Dr. Ford, and I think that it's sort of like uh, when men aren't allowed to talk about abortion, you know, the men feel like they're not allowed to criticize Dr. Ford or Professor Ford, as I prefer to enjoy listening to her be called. But, um, you know, as a female, I haven't spoken to any woman who didn't immediately say that woman is being untruthful. So I'm glad that there, I think it's important that we have justice and that people not be allowed to lie as was done or apparently was done. It certainly seemed like lies, you know, ignore Dr. Ford and her testimony. Well, well to me, I think people, uh, and I'd be interested uh, in, in what you guys think, but people listen to a certain type of media outlet and, and they just put their common sense on the shelf. And they just repeat, regurgitate, and empathize with what is fed to them. And and that seems to be a workable combination. It's not what happens or what's true or what's not true. It's what you can make people believe. 
and, and we've all fallen into that trap at one time or another, and that's, that's kind of what we try to avoid at Conduit. We, we, we try not to get to the sensational stuff. We try to stick with, you know, provable facts and, and words that people say. You know what I'd I like think it about was on Tucker guys, Carlson the other night where they were saying, you know, why is it we have to apologize about who we're not before we make a statement of our beliefs? You know, I'm not a racist, but I believe, you know, that um, whatever statement. Well, you take five people talking about race and racism or sexism, and they all have different definitions of what that word even means. If I can go back to a point that you made a second ago, which is what I liked about what conduit has done in the past if i recall correctly and i want you guys to 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 tell me is that you guys were against issue one now we know issue one's not on the ballot now uh because the supreme court struck it down but what i liked about that is you guys didn't say oh well i hear some conservatives in favor of this so we must be in favor of this you guys analyzed it you guys looked at it and you said this is not about freedom this is about restriction and we're about freedom that's what the conservative movement ultimately is about. So am I right about what you guys were doing with, with issue one when it was still on the ballot? You're exactly right. Yeah. I, I appreciate that, Robert. You know, Joe and I, he's a manufacturer, and I'm a, I'm a tax lawyer. Right. I'm probably closer to the defense attorney if I'm going to go to court. I'm certainly mm-hmm. going to be there. But, um, you know, we live it, and we understood that that bill – was not tort reform. It was not the tort reform that we could all live with and ever expect a day in court that would be fair to either side. Right. I remember I saw this TV commercial where a doctor, you all may know who it is, I just can't remember his name, he's he's coming out in favor of issue one, and he said, well, we're looking out for you because we're going to cap the percentage your attorney can take if you do a contingency fee arrangement. Of course, that's when instead of paying an attorney hourly, he just takes a piece of the action only if you win. And I remember seeing that commercial and, and giggling because I said, so you're a doctor who is dealing with claims against doctors but all of a sudden you're worried about plaintiffs who sue doctors having to pay too much to their attorney or just maybe just possibly what you're really trying to do is limit the amount the lawyer can get so you're hoping the lawyer won't take that case because he said well you know a third of ten thousand is just not that much money it's not going to be worthwhile for me to take that case so i'm sorry i'd like to represent you but if i could have a more equitable distribution i would have taken that case but now the law would prevent me if issue one was still on the ballot and passed so i can't do that and whenever i see disingenuous lobbying like that when clearly the doctor who was claiming to be looking out for those who were injured was doing exactly the opposite that's when i say i'm done with you i'm done listening to the nonsense that's coming out of your mouth because it's just a bag of lies well that if if, if we operate like that then uh, we're probably done with most people in Arkansas. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, that, that's how I deal with most of these uh, politico types. And the bureaucrats are even worse. The government bureaucrats who come to the Hill and come to this commission I'm on for Freedom of Information Act, and they literally come there and say, well, you know, our jobs would be a lot easier if you put a big glaring hole through the Freedom of Information Act. I'm sure it would be. Goody for you. Now that you've told me that, now I know I don't want to put that big glaring hole through the Freedom of Information Act. 
Robert, I do want to tell you how much we appreciate your work in that area. Um, uh, you know, transparency and being able to see what our government's doing is so important and really undervalued uh, in, in this arena. And I think you've, I really applaud you and appreciate what you've done to ho- hold our laws together because we do have some good laws, but they're being, you know, uh, attempted at being eroded by, by the people who should be you know, doing the opposite. That's right. The majority, you mean? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that. And, you know, we're coming up on a new session and there's some folks who are very pro Freedom of Information Act and there's some folks who simply aren't. And let me tell you, it doesn't have to be a Democrat or a Republican, meaning it's on both parties. You get people who are captured by big government, captured by bureaucrats, captured by individual interests, whatever the case may be, and they are on the wrong side of of freedom, on the wrong side of transparency, and I intend to call them out uh, on Dave's show, and I hope you guys will do the same uh, every Monday, because uh, there's going to be a price to be paid if you think you can come up against transparency in Arkansas and, and sneak something in. It ain't going to happen. Well, all, all evidence to the contrary, we, we've been fighting that, uh, and we will continue to fight with you. Appreciate uh, it. It's not a very uh, rewarding fight in the political arena. Yeah. Uh, when, when Bob Ballinger first brought up uh, the, the bill or to amend the bill for the college, um, you know, and, I, and we challenged it, and I said <clears throat> he was not the right person to carry the bill. <clears throat> Excuse me, and Conduit for Action had an article that addressed that, and Bob just sort of went crazy and, uh, and told me personally I didn't know what I was talking about. Well, so I, I do hope these legislators read more about the Freedom of Information Act before they attempt further to dismantle it. That's right, well, and Bob was wrong. Bob was I think Bob would agree with this that they, uh, when you come out with a a well reasoned article or or commentary uh, and lay out the facts so that the voters and the the, the different legislators can can have a good opinion, uh, the the sharp knives come out quick. Oh yeah, and they, you know they, they don't attack the 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 facts of the thing; they attack the the. the, the Personalities, yep. which is something that they claim that we do, mm-hmm. but it's in fact the opposite that we find happens. So it's it's a lonely place to be, but it's something that I feel is worthwhile, and then that's what we plan to continue to do. Absolutely, I, w- I won't be intimidated when it comes to the Freedom of Information Act. There are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of laws on the book, and I wrote on the books, and I wrote a book on one of them. The Freedom of Information Act. And so when cronies, hacks, bureaucrats, and politicos try to tell me that I don't understand that law, I tell them, pick one of the other million laws that I haven't written a book on, because that's the one I wrote a book on. <laughs> well, well don't, they still have some outs here and there. For example, one of the outs is the executive privilege or what have you. Oh, yeah. Uh, we did an FOI on the claim of 70,000 jobs created, because mm-hmm. that is pure BS. Mm-hmm. But... They claimed that there was, you know, they, they moved us around to different departments, the Economic Development Commission and the governor's office and whatnot, and we, we can't get an answer to the. Oh, there are plenty uh, of exemptions of right now. Of 70,000 jobs. And that's created. the point. There are plenty of exceptions in the Freedom of Information Act right now. And they want more? You see, they don't want more. You know, it's like it's... They want it all. They want it all because it's the paperclip that becomes the anchor, right? Mm -hmm. One one too many paperclips and that ship sinks. And that's what they want to do to the Freedom of Information. Oh, it's just a little change. Yeah, it's that little change that sinks the whole ship.
All right, we got to come back. I got to get a break in. And Brenda, when we come back, I'm going to be calling upon you because you are a tax lawyer. I want to talk about an article on Conduit News about the home office tax credit. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. Nobody else talks about it, but we will when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. If you want a career working outdoors, get it with P.I. Roofing. That's right. P.I. Roofing is expanding. If you're detail-oriented, you strive to do the right thing, you like to work with your hands, you like to work outdoors, P.I. Roofing is the place to go. They're expanding their operations department to better serve their customers as they grow. You can build your future with them. P.I. Roofing, Home Solution, Career Opportunities in Commercial Roofing and Service, Residential Roofing and Service, and Home Solutions Division. Make a difference in your life as you climb your ladder to success. Apply at piroofing.com or call 501-707-3551. Okay, so let's finish up today and talk about a story that uh, hasn't gotten a lot of coverage, except if you read Conduit News, and that has to do with the home office tax credit. Now, if you have a small business that you use your house, like you sell insurance or something like that, or maybe you're a woman who has um, goes out and you know does hair and you do your salon in your home and things of that nature, this could have major repercussions on how much money you make. And so I'm going to turn over to, to Brenda Taylor here because she is a tax attorney. So she can talk specifically about this. What's going on here? I mean, Hendren says, well, we might take it away. Then we might be able to find a compromise, yada, 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 yada. You tell me, what do you think's happening here, Brenda? I think the main thing that's happening is we may need to change the title to the article because it actually is referring to a tax credit for insurance companies who have a home office here in Arkansas. And so for all of those wages that they pay their employees or salaries, they get a tax credit against the premiums that the state charges. So 2.5% premium on the insurance uh, that you know the state of Arkansas is, is, is paying Blue Cross they get to recover 2.5% of those premiums as a tax. But then they turn around and give them a credit for all the wages that they pay to Arkansans. And so Jim Hendren says, if you look in the body of the article, he'll say, well, we have three options. We can leave the credit in place and do nothing, which means Arkansas wouldn't get any more money. Or we can do away with the credit and maybe give the insurance company part of their 2.5% tax uh, back, or we can use it to reduce the taxes on the population that's now paying 6.9%. You know, Hendren's looking for money that he says he's going to use to reduce the tax top tax brackets on Arkansans. And I would wonder if he's looking at running for governor, maybe, you know, with that kind of policy in place. Wow. Why, would, why would you think, I think that? I would agree <laughs> that I anticipate, you know, maybe reducing these credits, that kind of thing. And at the end of the day, Arkansans will pay more in taxes rather than less. Yeah, I think that's that's what we've seen is the pattern with the task force and, and these other things that the Republicans, who I'm at this point count myself a member of, uh, they do the opposite of what they campaign on in reality. Uh, you know, they give money to China where the national uh, policy is, you know, China's taking advantage. And 
They've expanded Obamacare in Arkansas, which is part of this deal Brenda just talked about. And we want to repeal it at the national level. We, we increase taxes, although we call it, every chance we get, they call it revenue neutral, which it is not, clearly. And, you know, they probably are fairly opposite on immigration as well from the national policy for, you know, the Tysons and the Walmarts of the world. So, it, you know, you really got to listen to what these people say very, very carefully because they know how to craft language to to sell something to you that is not so. <laughs> Even our own headline of our article, you know, is misunderstood because, you know, and I first said to Joe, home home tax credit, I know we have a deduction, but I didn't know we had a credit. And, then, you know, when I read the article, I realized what you were referencing. I apologize for that, but um, it does show you how important the words are. Your oh, yeah. home office is not your household office. And okay. I just had an audit where I had, you know, uh, created the form to deduct home office expense. So, you know, I've got that in my head, too. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I just saw it, and I thought it would be an interesting uh, the story, I had not read all of it, but the, the key is, is that nobody's talking about this. We're the only, you're the only ones talking about it, and I bring it up, and now we get a totally different story of what's going on, and it's all about making more revenue for the state. You know, the way that's centered on Obamacare that we expanded here, that they don't want to call Obamacare, and a, a third of our Kansans being on Medicaid. Well, every, all four of us on the phone, let's vote right now. Let's say they reduce the benefit to the insurance company. Who's going to pay for that? Everybody want to vote now that we doubt it's going to be the insurance companies? I have Besides, my, I've they're nonprofit, got, and they don't pay taxes anyhow, except for this premium tax. Yeah, Brenda, I've got my hand over my wallet. I can't. I can't yeah, vote. I can't vote right now. You know, I love how the leftists are always telling us, "Oh well, people like us, these rich actors, we should be paying more in taxes." And of course, the first response is, "There's nothing preventing you from paying more. There's a box to check." And so, before you start telling other people to pay more, <laughs> show me your taxes. Show me that you've actually paid more. So you're not really interested in you yourself the actor paying more you're interested in telling the other guy what to do and the left is real good about telling other people what to do and the second thing is you know say well don't you want this and don't you want that well you know i want rainbows and unicorns but the fact is i spent a lot of money in taxes already and when people say well we need to take more taxes because we need to do more things i say look enough is enough and if you think we aren't doing something that we should do my response is that's quite possibly true meaning you can't do everything you can't have every social welfare program operated by the government it just doesn't work and at some point we need to recognize that people need to be entitled uh, uh, to have their the money they earn and these comparisons were like sweden which is like six or seven families and they're all cousins about 150 people living over 300,000 square miles you know i hope the swedish embassy doesn't write me a letter it's a beautiful country i've been there but but you know the truth is you cannot compare that small country and very homogenous population to what goes on in the United States. It's just not adequate when people start to talk about extremely high tax rates and socialism, essentially. Well, guys, I have Did to- anybody notice, like I did, that on the, on the Red Sox glorious victory uh, in the World Series, the, Matt Damon and Jimmy Kimmel uh, both had a shirt 
that said, I'm with stupid, pointing yeah. at each other. Yeah, I saw that. That was a great picture. Guys, I, I tell you, I agree with both of them. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> First time. Got to jump right in here and say we're out of time. Uh, Brenda, where do people go to uh, access all the great articles that you all put up for people to read? Conduitnews.com will take them to the various uh, conduit entities and entertain them fully and inform them uh, to a level we hope they appreciate. And conduitforaction.org for the articles. All right. I appreciate you being with us. Your first soiree into uh, or four-way, foray, to be not honest. Not four-way. Yeah, not, not four-way. four-way. Yeah, for, for well, you know, you me, can't get out of my what my tongue out of front of my eye teeth. Bottom line is, we'll see you all next Monday at this time. Great to have you at the five o'clock hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Bless. We'll talk to you all later. Thank you very much for being part of uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. See you tomorrow, two o'clock. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.